Also, I can't think of a more boring quiz than which Strixhaven Dean is your advisor. There's like 10, right? Like one for each color. House. They're, right. they're the flip cards, right? But but it's just like who would ever take a quiz to find out who your advisor, advisor is? <laughs> your academic advisor. <laughs> like, find out what your signature spell is. Find out what house you're in. Like, find out what you are, but not like who's your guidance counselor. Who's gonna grade your papers? <laughs> right. <laughs> who's well? But it's like advisor. Like, who's gonna like consult with you about your path? your next step after college like what and they're all all the deans are named after like concepts too so like one of the red ones is the dean of passions and that looks fine the blue one's like the dean of perfection and then you get to like one of the other red ones like the dean of chaos and like who the hell wants that to be their dean <laughs> right that would be stressful honestly though dean of passions is like a really creepy one to have as your advisor too so i mean he's a genie or an afreet so Whatever. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to episode 190 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris, what's going on? Not much, just got shot, a <gasps> shot, not oh, shot. No. <laughs> In the arm. It hasn't kicked in yet, but, you know, this is a set review episode, so maybe I'll start feeling, like, kind of woozy or headachey or something right in the middle of it. Who knows what could come out of your mouth towards the latter half of the episode. Ew. Well, I didn't... You said you got shot. You could have spot me that one. <laughs> Do you mean, like, words-wise or, like... Yeah, words-wise, of course. And <laughs> ectoplasm. This is no. a spir- there is a spirits-themed uh, house in this set. Yeah, I just... Let's start over. Just take them to the top. <laughs> it's too late. We're already way too deep. Okay. So we're going to go over strict saving stuff today. This is our set review. Lee messaged me a couple of days ago and said, uh, we can't do our normal thing. I only have one blue card in my top five blue cards. So... <laughs> Rather than dividing the setup by color, because it apparently just doesn't really work given the distribution of power in this set, we are kind of going roughly by school. So we'll do Lorehold and then Prismari, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and just kind of the water. The watermark cards are easy to identify which ones are from which school. The other ones we kind of just like finagled into place but this is more to give us a chance to talk about the cards that stood out to us that we think are cool and will have some impact somewhere so however we arrange it it's kind of the same thing i also have some cards on my list i just want to talk about Mm -hmm. that might not have zero impact on every format ever yeah just just because we didn't get a chance to talk about spoiler cards as they were coming out we had like a whole week of spoilers and that's it usually it's a lot more prolonged yeah so i have a couple cards here and there i just want to like talk about briefly yeah and and i mean one thing that we do really miss out on when the spoiler season kind of doesn't mesh with our schedule the way that this one just like really just didn't partially because of the mystical archive partially just because of the length of the spoiler season 
one of the things we miss out on is getting to identify the overhyped cards and talk about why they are not as good as people think they are. And like the point of this show is to pull out the cards that we think matter and talk about them. And so we may, and, and you know, once we're a week into standard, all like most of the overhyped cards have disappeared and everybody's forgotten about them forever. So we kind of like don't get a chance to talk about that, which is, you know, in, in, in some ways not the most useful discussion. Like this card's actually bad. Don't worry about it. But in, in other ways, like it is a good way to check your card evaluation against the card evaluation of everybody else. And, you know, use that as a way of measuring like what actually matters in making a card good or useful or, you know, and, and when later on the overhype card actually ends up being good and you're like, oh, I was wrong about that. Then that's good to acknowledge and figure out why you were wrong. I will also mention like the start of the episode. This set is definitely on the weaker side mm -hmm. like they're clearly powering down the sets which is good from a thank god there's no thrombile drain every three months or whatever yeah but it does mean that i am not looking forward to standard because does the set even compete anything that's currently happening in standard or change it at all i'm not actually sure right i mean a lot of the cards are going to be very overshadowed in a format where you can play Bone Crusher Giant and Brazen Borrower and Edgewell Innkeeper and even by like the ultimatums like those existing mean that a lot of the larger mana cost cards are kind of just dead on arrival. I I did like Brian Gottlieb put in the start at Star City they did like top fives and one of his cards was Lorehold the the dragon mm -hmm. just because he wanted to transmogrify it into play. <laughs> and I admire that a lot because mm -hmm. that's trying to do something with an expensive card that's clearly not as good as all the other stuff, mm -hmm. but you're still trying to like get advantage out of it. Yeah. Well, shall we talk about Lorehold first then? Yeah, sure. Do you have a card in mind you want to start with? Yeah, my number five is actually Velomachus Lorehold. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can you read the card? Yeah, this is five white and a red for a 5-5 five, five flying Vigilance Haste. Whenever Velomachus Lorehold attacks, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to Velomachus Lorehold's power from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I mean, basically, like, this card is powerful to cheat out, potentially, and it kind of does all the work for you once you've cheated it out. You know, like... I thought it was cool to bond a revival Dracuseth into play because I would give it haste and you get the attack tree. This guy already has haste. So as long as your deck has a decent amount of instants and sorceries in it that are good, he's going to give you some value. I, You know, certainly tough to use. Uh, I don't anticipate focusing on hard casting him or anything like that. But, you know, like depending on what you are kind of allowed to put together in standard, likely post rotation, you know, stuff like in historic people have put together like unburial rights decks with that the sphinx that like casts the unburial rights on something else when you you cast it mm -hmm. uh you know this is not that crazy to put something together like that if you can like reanimate this guy and then he grabs a reanimation spell out of your deck or even just a card drawing spell out of your deck but if he grabs a reanimation spell and puts something else into play like that's cool i'm into that are there any reanimation spells in standard just like zombify of x no, I don't think. I mean, there's probably like a bad five mana one. Like, there's always a bad five mana one somewhere, but I can't think of it. Yeah, I wonder if you could 
I'll have to like do a list for because the zombify thing is a little more appealing to me. Yeah. If you because flipping into a transmogrify after you attack with Lorehold is not super exciting because you've already done your thing. Right. And you're mostly just flipping into like I don't know thrilling discoveries or whatever, which is the cathartic reunion card. Mm-hmm. Which is good, but I mean, you, you really want to just keep pushing advantage, not keep filtering cards. <laughs> right. And I mean, this does require you to have a certain number of kind of universally good expensive ish instants and sorceries that are going to like push advantage in like any situation that's kind of a a lot that's a tough puzzle to put together in a deck so i'm not like super optimistic but like this card does do a lot of the heavy lifting the hard work for you you just need to like have the composition around him right so there's something but uh, you know it's probably not very good my number four is professor of symbology and oh, I don't know put, if this is a oh, lore hold card. A language card in the lore hold school instead of the language school. Mm, yeah, I guess that's true. I, I think I used the fact that she was a spirit to. Uh, she's a core cleric. Oh, she's a cleric. Oh, she's a core. She just looks like a ghost to me. Like this is the the ghost history professor. Like, but yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's here. This is where it is. <laughs> the read it. One in a white for a two one core cleric. When it enters the battlefield, learn. None of the lessons like made any of my lists or anything because they're intentionally, you know, underpowered because you get them for cheaper than you would generally draw a card for. But you do get to choose which one you get. And there's, you know, there's a naturalized one. There's an expensive one that puts a bunch of bodies into play. There's like enough variety of stuff that as long as you can afford to sacrifice a couple of sideboard slots, then you may have a decent amount of utility attached to any reasonably playable learn card. And this one seems to be sort of the easiest and most efficient one. There's like a little bit of Thraben Inspector in the DNA where making a clue is much worse than straight up drawing a card. And, you know, similar, like the lessons are like kind of like two mana more expensive than the card should really be. But there's like a little bit of that DNA there. And so I think this card is interesting. And, you know, like Silvergill Adept is a card that people go out of their way to play. This is certainly not quite Silvergill Adept, but it's a two mana two one that gives you a card. So I I also actually do like this card. It's also mm-hmm. on my list of unsorted Lorehold cards. Actually, it was on the, the other college, but whatever. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I think all of the lesson cards are just unplayable. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to. Last episode, I just ranted how everyone was misbuilding their Pioneer decks by filling in a bunch of cards you can't really sideboard in. Yeah. And you're just talking about cards that are just bad face value mm-hmm. and still using the same way that you will yeah. never sideboard in. And I just am not interested in ever doing that. Sure. I, I mean, I get that. But this is a little. Like, with Raven's Warning, you're waiting a million turns before you get your thing. With this, it's like, I have five mana and I need to naturalize. I can cast this and get my naturalize and naturalize your thing. Like, there's a lot more there. Sure, but I'm honestly just more interested as a a white two one that rummages. Like, that's what I'm in for. Oh, I don't think that's very good. Like, I'm not trying to play that wizard, the the red two one that rummages from uh, Call of Duty. Well, that's in red. You have a million cards that rummage in red. I guess we're just we just really want to discard cards to like discard our Velomachus lore hold so we can do I I'm not like I mean, sold on that. If you're in if you want a goblin piker for I don't know, some reason, what whatever reason, 
having a and you're not in a card draw color because you're like mono white or whatever to play faceless haven having a mm-hmm. rummager is fine and i think it's significantly better than any lesson card you could pull off your sideboard because you actually want your sideboard to do things not to be a bunch of unplayable cards i am v- extremely skeptical that regardless of color a two mana two one rummage sees play like this card isn't good unless you're getting a lesson like i All just right. can't imagine that being a thing I think I'm concluding then that this card is good on neither half. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 fair too. I don't know. I I anticipate there being some amount of learning that happens in standard. The cards aren't good, but they are situationally like they can be the thing you need. I also like that this is a cleric, and so you could play it in a cleric deck with the birthing pod thing, and it gives you your value, and you turn it into a three drop. That's what I want to do. Okay. Shaking your head, you don't believe. I. I do not believe at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My number three here is Strict Proctor. This is one in a white for a 1-3 spirit cleric with flying. Whenever a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability to trigger, counter that ability unless its controller pays two. This is a variant on a thing that we've gotten before in various forms. It's weird. You see people tweeting about it as though... Takatli Honor Guard, like, mm-hmm. doesn't ex- like completely forgetting that we have different ways to turn off triggered abilities of creature. It's it's super weird that like people are like, whoa, uh, like, and then like working out like, how does this work with Uro? Like, well, we like we have Hushbringer <laughs> and Takatli, so like those exist already. But this has a couple of things going for it. You know, it is a spirit, kind of obnoxious that spirits relies to a solid extent on its own comes into playability so it's not ideal in a spirits deck unless you really are shutting down something important but it also doesn't just affect creatures unlike the other ones and that's the big difference so like this card messes up like amulet or a valakut like a scape shift or something like that and that's the kind of the application where i'm way more excited for it is like it needs to get cleared off the battlefield before those kinds of decks can do any of their stuff yeah, the, the place I thought about it was Lotus Field in Pioneer. Mm-hmm. Not like a combo deck or whatever, or maybe a combo deck, who knows. But it just gives you a huge burst of mana. It's like a white ramp card. And that's sure. kind of cool. That's something that you've never had in that color before. Yeah. Yeah, that is cool. I'm pretty into that idea, for sure. I, and I don't know where it goes. You don't have to play like... I know all the Lotus Field decks are generally like hidden strings, combo nonsense. Mm-hmm. But Lotus Field, if you're just playing it as a land on turn three... It puts you ahead three or two extra lands mm-hmm. if you're just countering its triggered ability. Right. You can do something with that. You can just get a lot of men out really early. You don't have to play a combo deck. Yeah. I'd probably want that to be in a metagame where Strict Proctor is like messing up some mm-hmm. stuff out of most opponents. But if you are, like, I'm kind of down for that. Like, an Invisit is a card with a triggered ability mm-hmm. that really wants to put that card on turn four so mm-hmm. that it can like stock up. And Strict Proctor messes up that pretty well. Yeah. Agent sure. of Treachery, too, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that the fact ooh, that this... Ooh, it stops a Seeker's Chariot, too? Wow, there's a lot of random cards that thing stops. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the big deal. Is like It says permanent, not creature. And like that's the new thing that this card does, and that's why it's going to find some use. So I, I, I like this card enough. I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's neat. I, I don't think it's going to rock any boats, but there are like some cool applications that it'll show up and surprise people, I think. Sure. And, I mean, just be aware that it also affects your stuff, so plan around it accordingly. Now we're going to get to the good ones. The kind of, like, 
objectively just like guaranteed to do stuff ones. Okay. So my number two is Rip Apart. This is red-white for a sorcery. Choose one. Rip Apart deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker or destroy target artifact or enchantment. So, you know, this is like a... a this is really four modes. This takes out a creature or a planeswalker or an artifact or an enchantment. That's just too many things for it to not be good and find use somewhere. You know, red-white are bad colors, but it kind of doesn't matter when you're this versatile. There'll be something. Yeah, I think this is a really, really good sideboard card. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Because I view this card mostly as a disenchant with upside. Mm -hmm. Because I, we saw a braid a few formats ago be the best removal spell like of its day. Mm -hmm. Because it was an instant and it killed artifacts randomly in a format where artifacts were really good. And it killed creatures. It didn't hit Planeswalkers at all, but it didn't matter. It was still incredible. Uh, I think losing instant speed hurts this card kind of a lot. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you really want to be able to use your removal in instant speed. And if you're in red-white at sorcery speed, you're mostly playing it probably in a three-color deck, like a Jeskai deck or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you really need the cards to be instant speed if you're playing blue cards as well. So that's why I think it's mostly going to be sideboard relegated. Like when you can get all four modes on it or three of the modes, that's really where it's going to shine. You don't really want it to just be like a slow lightning bolt. Yeah. Or I guess a volcanic hammer. Yeah, but it's also just not the worst. It, it Like, obviously, as with every removal spell, it entirely depends on the metagame and what's important to kill. Yeah. If people are playing a ton of artifacts or enchantments, just go for it. Yeah. Say. You know, like, this card would have been great to have around versus, like, sacrifice decks because it can kill the oven or it can kill the mayhem devil. It kills, like, the priest on card, you know? Trail so, like, of crumbs, yeah. Right, it can even kill a trail of crumbs, right. So, like... It's just like a huge catch-all against decks that are, you know, I'd way rather have Rip Apart in my deck than Casualties of War because people are playing lots of different permanent types. Okay, first of all, I hate Casualties of War. That card's unplayable and you know that. <laughs> I know, I'm just baiting you here as well. <laughs> it's also three times as much mana. Right, but the, but I'm saying like, you know, this is the type of thing I would like to do to respond to a deck that is like putting forward a lot of different types of threats. I, I would love to have like a removal spell this versatile than like try to trap them by playing something like that you know yeah i think this card is good but i think a lot of people in when this card was spoiled were making the mistake of thinking it was incredible mm -hmm. and it, i don't think it's incredible i just think it's good yeah I, I mean i think it's good and i think it's gonna see quite a bit of play particularly in standard as long as there's any deck that can like justify being these colors i, I can't wait for honestly to put this in uh niv visit decks because mm -hmm. there's not a lot of red ward cards you actually want to put in your deck. And this is a good one. Okay, so one thing that I do really like here is that this is a creature removal spell that also kills the Great Henge. And without having to be like a bad like disenchant in your deck against the creature decks. And I think like, like that's a thing I'm pretty excited to have in my deck in Great Henge type matchups. Uh, yes, I agree with you. But I will caveat that by... Always like one phone removal against giant card advantage engines are scary. Yeah, but the fact that it also kills the card it kills both of the card advantage engines. It can kill an yeah, innkeeper and it can kill a great henge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's something. Uh, and my number one lore hold card is Thrilling Discovery. This is red white for a sorcery. You gain two life. You may discard two cards. If you do, draw three cards. I mean, maybe 
Dredge doesn't actually want like eight cathartic reunions, but I like every the best Dredge hand is always one that casts cathartic reunion on turn two. So I think, yeah, this is just cathartic reunion gain two life, right? Yeah. Well, it's actually a little worse in Dredge because <laughs> if they spell pierce it, you don't get to discard your Dredge cards. So, but it's better in everything else, which is kind of weird. Um, it's also worse in Dredge because you have to make white mana. But like every single game you've ever played against Dredge that on turn two, you're like, crap, I can't win this game. It's because they had Cathartic Reunion, like 100% of the time. So I can't imagine Dredge isn't like willing to warp its mana base a little bit to play more of this effect. I knew Sodek, like the Dredge guy, mm -hmm. said he was just going to play white to play this card. So yeah, probably a good indication that you're just going to get Cathartic every single time on turn two. <laughs> And to me, that is really scary and, like, makes me feel like there's a distinct possibility of dredge bans a little bit down the line. Is that scary or, like, heartening? I mean, that that's good. It's just, like, it is scary. Like, I think dredge is going to be scary powerful for a while enough that we may be getting bans at some point. Yeah, maybe. I'm kind of hoping for that. I think dredge is... So I like Dredge as a deck. I really do, actually. Mm -hmm. I think it's cool. Their games are pretty interesting. They play out pretty oddly, different from every other deck. But one of the things I really don't like about Dredge is that it cannibalizes other graveyard strategies. Yeah. Like, most of the time, why would you do some other graveyard strategy because it's not as good as Dredge or not as consistent as Dredge? Or Dredge gets, like, Faithless Looting banned and all of a sudden you just can't play half the graveyard strategies anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree completely. That is the main drawback of Dredge is like, if I'm going to play a deck that loses to Leyline, why don't I play the deck that nobody can beat unless they have Leyline, which is what Dredge has been at various points in its life cycle. Yeah, so I, I'm i not going to be sad for Dredge bans as long as it means like we can get some more graveyard cards that aren't so Dredgy coming yeah. back into like modern. Yep. And I've said it many, many times, but Ox of Agonis is still just a shocking print to me. And I just don't understand why you would ban Faithless Looting and then put like a solid imitator of Faithless Looting that only Dredge is allowed to play. It's favoritism. It's bizarre. Right. I have a couple Lorehold cards that we didn't touch on your list. All right, let's do it. One is the Dean. So Plarg, Dean of Chaos. We're just going to uh, have to not... We're just going to have to assume they know it because these deans just have too much text. No, I, I'm going to read it all. <laughs> but I might abbreviate a little bit. All right. So it's a 1 or 2 2 legendary orc shaman. It has tap, discard a card to draw a card. So it's a rummager, 2 2 rummager. Mm -hmm. uh, it has 4 R tap, reveal the top cards, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non legendary, non land card. With mana value three or less, you can cast that card without paying its mana cost, and you put all revealed cards and not cast this way on the bottom in random order. So reading through this card just now, I realized it doesn't do what I thought it could do, which was put Tybalt into play. Ah, uh, yes. Because <laughs> it specifies non-legendary. <laughs> and that's honestly kind of what I was into doing, even though it's kind of random. But yeah, I guess this card is... The front side is mostly just a Grizzly Blood Looter, which is not that great. Yeah, I mean, the reason that non-legendary text is there is probably mostly so he skips himself when you're revealing. <laughs> Although, even if he did that, you could cast the other side, so that would solve itself. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the other side is a weird three mana one three that like pumps tap creatures plus one plus oh and untap creatures plus oh plus one and does some work to like let you navigate what of your stuff is tapped or untapped yeah the best this card is going to be a nightmare on arena so what it actually is is your tapped creatures it's a, a three mana one three your tapped creatures get plus one plus oh so if they're you know attacking or whatever if they're bigger your untapped creatures get plus oh plus one and whenever you attack you can untap any number of creatures you control then tap any number of creatures you control. No, it's not quite that bad. It untaps all of your stuff, and then you can tap ones that you want to tap. So okay. there's only one, like, choosing process. It's, I think it's, like, kind of carefully put together for Arena, honestly. Okay, that, that makes sense. This this card is kind of whatever. I'm not, I'm not super into it. It's, just, it's, it's a 3-mana 1-3. It's too yeah. clunky. Yeah. yeah. I'm not super excited about Plarg either. Mm. I misread the card initially. Right. It was a little more excited when I could just high roll into Tibble. But, you know, if you want a Magmatic Channeler that's a little different and then, like, can get you some card advantage late in the game rather than, like, maybe being a 4-4, which Channeler rarely is in the decks that play it, like, this is an option. Yeah, sure. The other card I would talk about is just, like, a this this cycle. Mm-hmm. The Mastery cycle. So I have Fervent Mastery in my list. 3RR sorcery, you can pay 2RR rather than pay its mana cost, but if you do, your opponent gets to discard any number of cards and then draw that many cards. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you cast it for, you get to search your library for three cards, put them into your hand, shuffle, then discard three cards at random. These cards are kind of similar to the Deans in that not only do they have a lot of text, but like the text is like very hard to parse and like contain in your head until you've like read it over and over and over again i i don't know what exactly it is about this but i it, it just doesn't quite grok it's just not like a graspable like okay yeah i get it i get like that's easy like I, this makes a lot of sense to me this cycle is so i i do like the black one i think the black one's pretty good mm-hmm. we'll probably get to that later i'm sure it's on one of our lists yeah but for the most part, this cycle is horrendous because whenever you pay the alternate cost, your opponent goes so far ahead compared to what you're getting. Like the the blue one in particular, like you draw three cards for three mana at sorcery speed, which is a fine rate, but your opponent just gets two free lotus petals, their treasures, yeah, and gets to scry two, so they're just destroying you next turn. <laughs> <laughs> but and this one is the worst, the red one, the fervent mastery, the one I just read. Yeah, your entire discount is one mana, and you give them a, a like as many rummages. They can rummage away as many cards in their hand as they want. And your payoff for this one mana discount, mm-hmm. or even if you just cast the card for five mana, yeah. is triple gamble. <laughs> You're not even guaranteed to get a card. <laughs> well, so I think triple gamble is especially at a cheaper mana cost, is like potentially really, really breakable. I think so too, yeah. Like if if the like alternate cost lowered this to two or even three mana, I think you could do some really chaotic stuff with like Arclight Phoenixes. So so they have to like be really careful about that. Which probably means like don't print this card. That's what I'm saying. Like if you if you can't offer a meaningful discount or give your opponent some you can tweak this in two different ways. You can lower the mana cost you pay and increase the benefit your opponent gets to whatever. They all do different stuff. Yeah. And this one is just like, well, we can't make it too cheap because Triple Gamble is busted, but we can't give your opponent a, a benefit greater enough 
because right. triple gamble is too good. So it's like, why does this card have triple gamble on it? Just yeah. do something else. <laughs> right. Like if you're if you want to play if you want to put a triple gamble in the set, like do it, but like set the mana cost to a thing that makes sense, and like just like triple gamble is like crazy enough on its own that you don't need a lot of mechanics around it. Okay, so imagine this card for mastery, but you just erase the first two lines of text. So it's just search your library for three cards, put them into your hand, shuffle, then discard F five mm-hmm. mana, and you'd be like, okay, I could see them praying that. That seems like a weird throwaway rare, whatever. Fine. Yeah. All this other text is just like so insulting. Yeah it's it's a lot of work in like the the existence of the card for like very little payoff like the whole payoff is like oh a one mana discount on this thing like obviously one mana is a huge difference but the like the nexus between like all of the text we put on here for like the difference in the spell that the text makes is just like the payoff isn't there for all of the the writing that went into this thing. The same thing, like I was talking about the same thing with you. Like this this set is calling card is like these cards have a lot of text, and we start with the deans. Like the the super egregious example is one that I was messaging you about today. That hybrid elemental. Oh the yes, the quad Prismari hybrid card. Yeah, I mean, so hold on, let me let me just like pull this up because like what on earth, man. I I I think I legitimately think that this is like a really egregious. I've got I've got it if you want me to read it. Well, but I'm all worked up. This is <laughs> Elemental Expressionist. This is a four hybrid mana four four orc wizard blue red Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, choose target creature you control until end of turn. It gains if this creature would leave the battlefield exile it instead of putting it anywhere else and when you exile this creature create a 4-4 blue and red elemental creature token like i just don't understand why it has all of that text to do what it does like even if you have to magecraft it why isn't it just like magecraft whenever target creature you control would die like create a four like whenever target creature dies create a 4-4 like i like they just put all of this weird like exile text on it and stuff that just like it's so much for so little because when in constructed do you want to put dies triggers on your creatures to get like four fours like that's not a thing for four You're, mana after you cast a copy and instant sorcery spell it's just so much work and it's such a, a bag of nothing but there's so much text there and it's all of the text has like tiny little rules implications like oh you have to exile the creature oh if i bounce the creature then i still exile it and get the four four like and like, if you transmogrify it, you get a four four two. Yeah, and <laughs> I, it, it's just so much, and it's so unnecessary in order to make the card like look and feel and do basically the thing you want to do. They're just adding all these like little things that you have to keep track of to it, and I don't get it. it it's well, like really I, weird design. I think it really adds to the feel of the college aspect of the set. Uh-huh. I just remembering reading a bunch of. Uh, text that really didn't need to be that long or convoluted but i read it anyway every card is a very much like will this be on the exam sort of thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right well you want to go into the actual prismari cards then yeah let's go to the actual prismari cards let me pull up uh oh i want to talk about will and rowan first Mm -hmm. uh which i guess i'm reading Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, good. A, a card with a Planeswalker on both sides. Perfect. Yeah, this is the card with the most uh, characters on it in all of Magic. In all of Magic? Yep. 
Okay, yeah, I mean, I believe that. So Rowan, Scholar of Sparks, is a 2R Legendary Planeswalker Rowan with two starting loyalty. She has a static. Uh, instant sorcery spells she cost cast one less. Uh, her plus one deals one damage to each opponent, and if you've drawn three or more cards this turn, it does three instead. And her minus four is you get an emblem with whenever you cast an instant sorcery, you can pay two. If you do, copy it, and you can choose the targets for the copy. On the back... We have Will, Scholar of Frost, which is a 5-mana Planeswalker for a, a blue, for a 4 starting loyalty. Will has the same passive as Rowan, the instant sorceries cost cheaper. He has 3 abilities. His plus 1 makes 1 creature have base power and toughness, 0-2 until end of turn. Uh, his minus 3 is draw 2 cards. And his minus 7 is exile up to 5 target permanents. And for each permanent you exile, that way its controller makes a 4-4 blue and red elemental. <laughs> it's so, like, it's so hard to, like, contain this entire card in your mind as you're trying to, like, think about it in the context of a deck that you're building. So the way I think about this card is mostly uh, Rowan, the front side, is a cost reducer, like a Baral. Mm -hmm. That's a little harder to remove with creature removal. Sure but really easy to attack down. Yes. Because uh, she doesn't do anything to protect herself. She just really doesn't do anything much at all. But she does ult very quickly. Mm -hmm. So if you're kind of, kind of playing like a spells batter deck or whatever, something stormy or magecrafty, you can put her down to reduce the cost of your spells. And if your opponent doesn't actually deal with her quick enough, her she ults in two turns and you just get that really quickly. Right. And all of a sudden you have a permanent Bargemancer Ascension, almost. Yeah, like if you were to put this into play you know say you're you're on the play against blue white control with storm and you just like ritual her into play on turn two that's really good like you've put them in a terrible spot yep because you just alter on your turn four and you're mm -hmm. good to go like you're not likely to lose that one yeah but i don't think she's good at much anything else other than that kind of scenario mm -hmm. where you're just like trying to alter really fast because she doesn't do anything in back floor that's what will does Right, Because Will is 5 mana, and his base mode is just divination. Like, 5 mana, draw 2, mm -hmm. leave a Planeswalker behind. Uh, but he actually does protect you by making creatures not able to damage you, or mm -hmm. Planeswalkers you control, by making them into O2s, which is nice. Uh, right. His ult is really, really hard to get to, though. <laughs> so, right. the way I parse this card is, Rowan is the cheap cost reducer you use to pressure your opponents who's not pressuring you, and Will is the card you use to get some card advantage, and stop their creatures but you're never gonna ult him because every time you get him up to like four loyalty you just want to drop two more cards like I i'm picturing this use case it like basically like two kind of use cases for this like one is like sideboarding it in because rowan is good in matchups where like your other cards are kind of bad like maybe she is better than pieces of the puzzle in certain types of matchups and you want to play you're playing storm and and like this is what i want to bring in against like blue white control or whatever like so I can see that, and then I can also see, particularly in Standard, if there are some like really instant and sorcery-based decks where there's enough matchups where either Rowan is good or Will is good because like Rowan comes down and threatens that ult against decks that are like heavy on creature removal but have a hard time interacting with a cheap Planeswalker, and she really threatens like, oh man, like it's going to be impossible to win a counter war once that ult has happened, once you have that emblem. And... I also want to call out in like spell matchups, 
the ability to go turn for Rowan with negate pack up when she mm-hmm. resolves is like pretty good. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Like that, that really punishes somebody who has tapped out for, you know, play a, a mana accelerant or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Will, you know, Will honestly like operates as a, a, a kind of bad Obnixilis, but he's the second half of a card. So like if you've been casting removal spells on their creatures and then you slam Will down, draw cards, they play a creature, he starts negating that creature, like that's a good deal for you. And he also does the same thing as Rowan, the, the same passive. Mm-hmm. So he's not, even though he's not as impressive to Rowan as me, despite him doing more things, because mm-hmm. uh, he's a little more expensive. Uh, he he still gives you mana discount over turns. So if you're keeping this guy in play, he's gonna pay you off no matter what. Yeah, yeah. I don't think this is like a wildly powerful card, but I can mm-hmm. see like enough context where it's good that, uh, like, I'm pretty into it actually. Yeah, I I like this card. I I don't know if it'll make waves, but I kind of want to try it out. Yeah. All right. Let me go to my blue section because I'm out of red cards. This is multiple choice. Uh, so X and a U for sorcery. If X is one, scry one, draw a card. If X is two, choose a player. They return a creature they control to their owner's hand. If X is three, make a four, four blue and red elemental. And if X is four or more, for whatever reason, <laughs> do all of the above. It's a really cool top-down design. I, I think it's adorable. Yeah, I, I really like the the cuteness of multiple choice and you just always want all of the above yes (laughs) that's nice but i kind of like this card as just kind of like a mold driftery style card yeah you seem like really excited about it do you want (laughs) to i think it's cute I i love the design i just don't think it goes anywhere in constructed I, I mean, like, I get that there's a flexibility to it, but, like, the three-mana mode is generally just completely atrocious. I Like, four-mana, four-four is, I guess, their spot. It's just, like, not as flexible as it kind of looks because the, the modes are so behind the curve. Like, you can cycle it for two, which is okay, but that's, like, one mana more than I actually want to cycle anything for. Like, once you cast it for, for X equals four, then, like, fine. But there's also, like, a lot of spots. Like, imagine you're playing against Adventures. Like, that doesn't do anything at all. Well, I'm trying to imagine not playing against Adventures. Sure. But, like, <laughs> for five mana, you know, you want to get a lot. Yeah. I I think this card only has two modes. Mm-hmm. Personally, it's scry one, draw a card, or everything. Yeah. And... I don't know. I kind of want to play this with Will and Rowan. Like, Cost Reducers makes this card really good. Mm-hmm. But I, I do get what you're saying, that it's really only viable at 5 mana and kind of at 2 mana. Yeah. but I mean, that's, that's true. Once you've, once you've Cost Reduced, then at least, like, it's opt at X equals 1 with upside for when you can pump mana into it. So, like, that's kind of cute. But, I, yeah. I don't know. I wish there was a reason to pay more than 4. I feel like all the cards on this have just so many lines of text they could just fit a couple more on there <laughs> well yeah especially because like college level once you're doing multiple like when you're co- college level take a multiple choice like it often goes to like e or f like yeah we're we're doing all of the above and none of the above on right. most of my tests and i don't want to none of the above on this card but we could get like a fifth 
any in there, you know? I mean, you can cast this for none of the above. Yeah, that is not ideal. <laughs> pretty bad. Sometimes you just need a, a Magecraft trigger, though. I guess. <laughs> All right, what else you got? Okay, I got a card I think is really, really good. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of my favorite cards in the set. Expressive Iteration. Okay. This is a gold sorcery. It's blue-red. Look at the top three cards of your library. One of them goes to your hand, one of them goes to the bottom, and the other one gets exiled. And you can play the exile card this turn. Which includes lands, so if you exile a land, you can play it. Yeah. I think this card is just really, really, really close to two-mana divination. Or like a chart, of course, you don't have to attack for. Yeah. Yeah, if, if the bottom of the library was actually graveyard, this card would be just like nutty, but probably they're just afraid of doing that. Like, imagine playing this at any point after turn two. As long as you haven't played a land, mm -hmm. and there's a land in your top three, you can just play that land off the top and keep your other card. Yeah. I somehow just kind of, like, skipped over this card and, like, didn't really notice it going through. But, yeah, like, this is as close to, like, two-mana divination, and even a little better. Some like, a lot of the time, the later in the game you get, the more this is better than two-mana divination. Because mm -hmm. you just play both spells. Mm -hmm. Or you play the spell you want to play now, you put the other one in your hand, and you ship a land at the bottom of the Yeah, yeah. I, I think this card is, like, pretty good. Yeah, and it's really so. easy to overlook, because it's another... What This has so many words on it, and I, I, it's a little hard to completely wrap your head around it, what it does. Right, I think I probably... When I read it, I think I just missed that last sentence. Like, I just... I was just like, oh yeah, this is like a, a weird strategic planning, but it's it's not. You get two of the cards. Yeah, you get two of them. It's a, it's a telling time variant, kind of. It's how I thought of it, and then I just realized you could play two cards. I'm like, yeah. wait a second, this is a divination. That's a big difference. I Yeah, I like this card, for sure. I think that's actually the best Prismari card in the set, even including Prismari Command, which didn't really make my list. <laughs> uh, I actually have Galazeth Prismari as one of the cards I wanted to talk about. Okay. Because uh, I, I like this card, but I don't think it'll make waves anytime soon. It's mm -hmm. a four mana, three, four dragon. It's a two blue red with flying. Uh, when Prismari enters the battlefield, you make a treasure token, and then he gives every artifact you control the ability to tap it to add one mana of any color, but you can only use that mana to spend instant or sorceries. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of DNA with Urza there. Like, he's, like, so close in several different regards, but just, like, you know, tuned, tuned way down. Well, yeah, Urza makes a, like, 9-9 nine -nine when yeah. he enters the battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> Urza creates, like, two existential threats for your opponent to deal with. And then draws you a million cards for some reason. Right. Galazeth is just a 3-4 flyer for 4. Mm -hmm. that ramps you a little bit and has like a cool little auxiliary mode mm -hmm. uh i don't I, I, this is a card i just like have in my back pocket they're doing a lot of treasure stuff nowadays like the previous set had the minecart where you have treasures and you yeah. put it into play like they're really pushing treasures a bunch and if you can put a bunch of artifacts into play and just have mana open galazeth is something that you can look at i mean right now i'm not interested at all like eldraine is too powerful the mm -hmm. is too good but if they keep printing treasures at the rate they're going, <laughs> this is a card I've got in my back pocket. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we're in more of a world where we have, like, chromatic sphere type things and stuff that you can, like, 
have him play. You can cycle him if you need to, but if you're like, I know that I'm going to cast Galazeth Prismari on turn four and then pass the turn with several mana up to negate their stuff, and then on my turn I can cast whatever gigantic things I need to cast. Like, that is pretty sweet. I We also just saw Foreign Clicks in Kaldheim, which is a Phyrexian. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they'll just go to Phyrexia at some point in the next year, so I don't have to wait like a billion years for the other Praetors, but yeah, who knows if that'll happen. If, if it does, that'll be more artifacts. Yeah. No, I mean, we've seen how powerful the your artifacts make mana ability is on Urza. Like, it's crazy good. This is obviously more limited. You can only cast instants and sorceries, but we have some gigantic instants and sorceries. So, like, that's not super limiting for the ramp aspect, but also just, like, play this guy, have negate up, untap, like, cast card drawing spells with my... I mean, I don't know what mix of, like, card drawing spells and artifacts. Like, that's a tough mix, potentially, of, like, I gotta have enough artifacts to make mana and enough instants and sorceries that the mana does stuff. So that can be kind of tough. We definitely don't have the cards now, but we could. It's it's a neat card, and it's mm-hmm. not horribly sized. Like, 4 mana, 3, 4 flyer with upside is, is good. Mm-hmm. I'm not excited about this as expressive iteration at face value. I'm just more excited about, like, what you can do with it going sure. forward. Yeah. Yeah, because like as long as Eldraine's legal, I can never play this card, right? So right, absolutely not. I just wanted to point it out while we were in the set talking about it. Yeah, this card just gets mystical disputed or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm out of uh, Prismari cards. You have any? Yeah, I actually had some different ones. Okay. Um, this one is not good enough, but there's something. So this one is Stormkiln Artist, three and a red for a two-two. Dwarf Shaman, it gets plus one plus O for each artifact you control. Magecraft, whenever you ca- cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, create a treasure token. You know, this mostly like does the thing that Bergy does, but worse because it doesn't have a backside and is more expensive. But it does, if you're in like the middle of comboing and you have like card draw spells and stuff in hand and you're just like, okay, yeah, I'll shoot off this grape shot and get my like six treasures off of that and then i can cast some more like that's a lot of mana that it's refunding you <laughs> you this is kind of like my galazeth thing there's another treasure card yeah i mean or so so the thing in historic that is like clearly not good enough but this would this is like a sick enabler for it is a thousand year storm deck so because it's like okay yeah helps you get the mana to cast a thousand year storm with and do something on the same turn right yeah. right so uh, it's not gonna work but it inspires the imagination which is kind of the point of the prismari cards i think yeah i've actually looked at this card multiple times and i just wished it was the hell giant so badly mm-hmm. a third yeah. point of toughness would be huge for this card dying to stomp and shock is not where you want your four drop to be yeah definitely not one of the reasons why bergy is actually like you know a thing that you think about and really want to make work is because you can't you can't stomp that card. Nope, she's unstoppable. I've also got Magma Opus in here. This is <laughs> six of blue and a red for an instant. Deals four damage. Divided as you choose among any number of targets. Tap two target permanents. Create a four four blue and red elemental creature token. Draw two cards. So a lot of stuff. None of it's gigantic, but all told, you know that's a solid like draw two cards, make a four four kill a thing. Uh, kind of mini ultimatum sort of sort of thing it is eight mana but it's also got two is it mana discard it create a treasure token so it has a way of cheating itself into your, your graveyard 
and putting you up on mana, which, you know, as we talked about before, is, like, Torrential Gear Hulk and this card are such good friends. Like, that is a wild interaction to have. Yeah, I think this is actually just Splinter Tornado with Torrential Gear Hulk, kind of. <laughs> like, I don't think you play it in any deck that you don't have Torrential Gear Hulk in. Right. Maybe you can Mizzix Mastery it or something, but that's a little underwhelming to me. I just, like, just imagine... Like, once you have five lands and a treasure in play, like, your opponent can't attack you with creatures. And sure. it's hard to change phases, too, because it taps two permanents, which include lands. So you can, like, provincial gear hulk them, tap their lands, kill their thing, make a 4-4. Four, four. Right. Ugh, that's... Yeah, this card to the torrential gear hulk is really good. Yep. Yeah. This card... I Without Torrential Gearhawk, less good. Mm, not very good. <laughs> Unless you, like, basically you need some way of casting it out of your graveyard that, like, makes sense. And this sets itself up for that. Torrential Gearhawk is the clearest way that's a good card that it sets up really nicely. If there's another good way, then, you know, this obviously interacts with that. So, I think that's cool. I also like the name. Oh, yes. Perfect. Magma name. Opus. <laughs> Next, I've got Prismari Command. This is one, a blue and a red for an instant. Choose two, deals two damage to any target. Target player draws two, then discards two. Target player creates a treasure token or destroy target artifact. Really weird that they just straight up recycled two of the modes of Coligan's Command onto this red three mana command. It just like Yeah, I, I like it actually because it makes it a lot easier to compare than the other commands. Right. Because you know how good the, the mode of like right. deal two, destroy yeah. artifact is. And then you can figure out from there how good the card advantage modes of Coligan's Command are. Discard a card, get a card back. Yeah. Versus Prismari Command's double rummage or make a treasure token. So generally, and maybe not so much in modern, but generally in decks where you're thinking like, boy, I do have some cards that I would like to get out of my hand sometimes. I think I would just like way rather have Prismari Command in my deck than Is It Charm. If, well, if... Yeah. So like... That's on its own, like a pretty decent thing for like, you know, Pioneer or whatever. You know, I, I don't think this card is fantastic, but there's a solid set of modes on there. We know having like Shatter on modal cards is powerful. Having a Shock on there, you sometimes kill a decent utility creature. You probably need to like be pretty interested in looting a reasonable amount of the time for it to be something that you want. Um, but I, I really do like the utility of one of the modes on your command being create a treasure, like really helps you double spell with this thing. If you only want one of the modes, then this can only, then this does only cost you two mana on that turn if you're casting another spell. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Okay. I hadn't thought of it like that. I'd mostly just kind of dismissed the treasure mode, seeing it as it was less, the least powerful mode. I didn't really think of uh, just using it to kind of cheapen your command into only a one-mode, two-cost card. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, it, it certainly does that. I mostly just think it's... I, I'm not a huge Prismari command fan. I think it's a fine card, but it, it really, really, really wants you to be able to rummage while doing something. And I mm -hmm. think that's mostly shocking or destroying an artifact. Yeah. Because, I mean, anytime you shock destroy an artifact, you're you're in great shape. <laughs> we know. I mean, we already. definitely know. Right. That's how you beat Affinity with a lot of these decks that otherwise would never have a chance. So if you're shocking or destroying an artifact and rummaging, I think that gets you really far ahead, but you need to be able to rummage effectively. I guess this is looting, not rummaging. Right, right. And I, I think the treasure token is really cool because, like, yes, that is a weak mode generally 
to have, but when you choose it, it's going to be because it's really important to get that treasure. Also works nicely with that, with the Prismari Elder Dragon, you know, can put out a treasure. <laughs> more right artifact. In. Yeah. So I also had Will and Rowan on here. And then my number one card, and I don't know, maybe you put this for a different guild. My number one is Archmage Emeritus. I actually think this card is really, really good. This is two blue blue for a 2-2 two, two human wizard with Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. I don't know if we actually have the tools for this right now, but like if we had dive down, have you ever cast this on with a dive down up in a deck that's like built to do this, you like crush your opponent on card advantage. Like you just destroy them. To me, it's like really Paran vibes mm -hmm. kind of. Exactly. But yeah, I had this for Quandrix listed to talk about. I, it's not watermark, so I didn't know where it should go. Yeah, he just looks very dramatic to me, so I put him with Prismari. Prism. He had so many like symbols on him. It was like maybe he's a math guy. I don't know. I see. I just don't think you wear a costume like that unless you're a theater kid. Is all. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But like uh, the problem with this card is it's got two toughness mm -hmm. right now, which is a death knell. I it, I just don't think you can get it out of the water right now. Yeah, I mean, I think as long as Stomp is around, that's really tough. Like, very specifically, that card. But I feel like a lot of the instant sources you really want to cast in standard right now are already adventures. And when you sure. your card reads, whenever you cast an adventure, draw a card. Like, how, how far away are you from the one-minute version of that effect? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is kind of true. Like, I get that. This card would still be good, in an adventure like i think this would oh be yeah it'd be really good, good drawing cards coming and going yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that might be a use for it is, is in team or adventures but basically like if you're playing like kind of a longer game you're trading stuff and then and maybe you're making some treasures like prismari is good at making treasures get to six mana play this guy pass the turn with negate up that's like a problem for your opponent like the game might be over depending on what exactly they are doing and I, like the uh my opponent has niv mizzet and a mana up like that was a real like serious problem situation for a solid portion of standard i think it was like really good in standard for like a month and a half before the cinema cards came out teferi was printed yeah <laughs> niv mizzet with a with some of its like raw power removed but two mana less is like a really big deal so and I mean, obviously, he doesn't trigger off of your opponent's spells, which is part of the backbreaking of niv -Mizza, is like, if we had an exchange to fight over it, even if you won, I drew four cards and killed your thing. But this only costs four mana, so. And it's only one color. <laughs> yes. Yeah, instead of costing you, 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 red, 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 it costs two, you, you. Yeah, we should go back and, like, see what we thought about niv Parad paired with, uh... Y'all were reviewing that card. <laughs> oh, I specifically remember, which was, if you can pay you, 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 red, 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 this card is really good. All right. It, it's hard for me to see Archmage Emeritus right now. Mm -hmm. I really want there to be, like, a dive down. Maybe there is one we're just missing. It's, it's probably in a green. version. There's oh, Snakeskin snake Veil. Vale. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I because of... Well, I mean, we'll talk about the Quandrix cards in, in a bit, but there's, like, one or two Quandrix spells that makes me think, like, maybe there could be a blue-green deck that does it with this guy oh yeah we'll talk about that okay what's what's the next college on your uh campus tour it is quandrix for me i used the order it was presented in in the article like introducing you to the strixhaven colleges okay well we'll start off with uh quandrix then 
That's blue green. Yes. I I don't really know which of these cards are from what, but so I have begrudgingly solved the equation on there. Really? So, I mean, I just like didn't quite have enough cards. I think maybe I missed something decent. But <laughs> I also like the Archmage was in my Prismari group. You know, this is two and a blue for a sorcery. Search your library for an instant of sorcery. Reveal it. Put it into your hand. Then shuffle. I think generally, like I would way rather have Salundi Visions in my deck than this card. But if you're trying to put something very specific together, it is technically a way to do. It's just really expensive. If you're not cost reducing your instants and sorceries, it's just like such a tempo sink. I think this is this card should really only specifically see play with Mind's Desire and Historic. Sure. There's just not a card as powerful that pays you off so well as Mind's Desire does. Mm -hmm. Because if you flip into Solve the Equation with Mind's Desire, you can get a ton of stuff that makes your combo keep going. Mm -hmm. As well as, like, tutoring for Mind's Desire to start the chain is pretty slow and expensive and bad. But I mean, sometimes you do it and you're happy yeah. about it but when you flip into it you you're the world's your oyster right yeah it's got to be something that really pays you back for that dumping the mana in and mine says there gives you 30 free mana or whatever so you you recoup that's uh, that's kind of the only place i see it i i think i mostly agree i guess the other place that i see it is if that lutri deck works in historic you probably have a solve the equation in there to give yourself an extra tainted pact but yeah, that's the Tainted Pact Oracle combo deck. I, uh, I, I'm not sold on that one at all. Neither am I. Uh, I've got Test of Talents here. One in a blue instant. Counter target instant or sorcery spell. Search its controller's graveyard hand and library for any number of cards with the same name as that spell and exile them. That player shuffles then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. If you're in like an, an ultimatum mirror matchup, if you're playing against an ultimatum deck and you are trying to go kind of long, this is a really good way of solving their ultimatums, which are probably the their plan. Yep, I think this is a really, really, really good sideboard card for any deck that revolves around instant sorcery. And typically the ultimatum decks revolve around instant sorcery. Yep. Uh, anywhere else, just worse than negate, I think. I, yeah, and I think a lot of times even against those ultimatum type decks, a lot of decks would rather have negate and people might like, don't trick yourself into playing this. Like just because ultimatum is one of the cards you could counter, you might care about their Asika's chariot or you might care about their planeswalker. And so if you do negate is better. Mm -hmm. You feel real foolish when you uh, just lose to the Asika's chariot after you're drawing your second test of talents after you've countered their like soul title to you right they, they just go like asika's chariot yori on it like kill you with two twos and this thing whoops my talent was tested and uh it wasn't enough this time <laughs> you've been found wanting next i have kasmina enigma sage so i think this card is bad like i see the look on your face i don't think this card is good one a green a blue for a two loyalty planeswalker each other planeswalker you control has the loyalty abilities of Kazmina, Enigma Sage, plus two, scry one, minus X, create a zero, zero green and blue fractal creature token, put X plus one, plus one counters on it, minus eight, search your library for an instant or sorcery card that shares a color with this planeswalker, exile that card, then shuffle, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. I... I don't think this card is very good. All of its applications necessarily involve having it and another Planeswalker in play. So that's like pretty gnarly. It is a way to get 
counters onto your like worn out narsets and stuff like that if you like the interaction that i think is really cute is with kiora behemoth beckoner like if you have this in play you play kiora and immediately minus for her to put a fractal into play and then draw a card (laughs) off of kiora's passive okay that is pretty cute i that's really adorable to me i don't i doubt like this card is so hard to use and it's like it's bad in most spots that's not a good sign for a constructed card so i the situations in which i think this card are good is when it's kind of like what you laid out right you have planeswalk in play hopefully narset something that like really can't gain loyalty effectively mm-hmm. uh and you you get to plus two them to put loyalty back on but also in those scenarios you need to have not drawn casmina and just like summoned her into play by magic somehow yes because you never want to draw the card you never want to take turn to spend mana to play her yeah then that obviously doesn't really work what she can kind of do as well is create complicated blocking boards for multiple planeswalkers because now all of your planeswalkers can create blockers even if they're like kind of small and it can become really difficult for if you have multiple planeswalkers out and multiple blockers it can be really difficult for your opponent to sort of leverage attacks in a way that works so i think that scenario only works when you have three planeswalkers in play and you're using two of them to protect one because if you're making chump blockers for your planeswalkers, those planeswalkers aren't doing anything else, which is the whole reason you want to kill planeswalkers in the first place. But, like, say it's, like, a 1-1 one, one and a 4-4. Four, four. Like, that really screws up their ability to attack profitably, potentially. You know, it depends on what they're attacking with and stuff. But, like, I, I could see times where it's going to be really difficult for your opponent to, like, get through. So maybe I'm not super familiar with the Planeswalkers and Standard right now, but I think they all start at like really low loyalty. There's no oh, card and Cyan yeah, I mean, out there. Like certainly in Standard, this is a really speculative thing because the Planeswalkers in Standard are really bad right now. So, I, well, I don't think they're just bad. Like I think Vivian Monster like, that's pretty good, but she's the, not a high loyalty Planeswalker. Right. And you, I think that this card only works in a deck that's full of Planeswalkers and particularly like has a number of three mana Planeswalkers. So, like, we're playing some sort of Mox Amber Super Friends deck in Historic or something like that. <laughs> See, where this card also loses it for me is that I think Kazmina would be better as an enchantment that gave your Planeswalkers an ability to plus two. Mm-hmm. And, and make fractals, I guess. Because you just attack Kazmina and all of a sudden it's like, what, what did we do? Yeah, we didn't accomplish a whole lot here. It's It's a cool card that probably just is too complicated to and like too weak on its own to pull anything off but we play it with vorinclex mm-hmm. <laughs> uh next i have quandrix command i actually don't really like this card very much oh i like this card a lot <laughs> this is I'll, I'll let you talk about it then after i read it this is one a green and a blue for an instant choose two return target creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand counter target artifact or enchantment spell Put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. Target player shuffles up to three target cards from their graveyard into their library. Okay, so I I think this is the best blue-green card in the set. I don't think that says a lot, but I do like this card a lot. Mm-hmm. Because one, Dramoka's command, I don't want to compare it to Dramoka's camp completely because they're very different cards. Yeah. But one of the cool things about Dramoga's Command was it kind of blew you out of combat sometimes by just having a plus one plus one counter attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I think the best part of this card by a good margin is the put two counters on something. 
I mean, and that's not good. Command also. I, that's why I didn't want to compare it to Drunk. Killed command. one of Just... their other creatures. <laughs> like... <laughs> Can we keep going? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, putting counters on a creature is not very good. Except for when it is really good. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying about that. And you get to do something else. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this card is deceptively good. Kind of like, like, I like this card way better than Prismari Command. Because it's modes are, I think, more impactful. Especially if you ever counter something and make combat impossible for your opponent. I think that's, like, one of the best things you could do with this command. Like, counter this against Jariot makes something large. Or whatever. And the other modes are just gravy. Like, you can break up graveyard synergies every now and then. Whatever. Bounce something when it gets frisky and do your other command. I think, like, these modes are all weak individually, and that's fine. But putting mm-hmm. them together is really impactful in a way that I think like Prismari Command isn't as impactful when you put two of those modes together. Yeah, I mean, I think like I'm only happy about having this card in my deck if they have a decent number of artifacts and enchantments that like I don't want to hit the battlefield because that's the only way that that's the only mode that turns into a raw card. Yes. Unless you are using like the tempo mode, the super tempo command where you bounce something and then pump your guy and just get in there <laughs> which I, I mean in a creature matchup sometimes that'll do it and it is only three mana like bouncing a a large creature pumping your own and then swinging the battlefield that way is not bad sure but i do agree that you want a good number of artifacts or enchantments that are relevant before you really want to play this card yeah this is not this is very much not a like ooh, I'm excited to put this card into a deck. It's much more of a, now that I've seen what my opponents in this metagame are playing, this has a slot to do these things kind of card. Yeah, it's it's a, a reactive card in that you don't put it in your deck until you know what's going on, mm-hmm. but you can use it proactively. Yeah, so I don't have that as my best blue-green card in this set. I actually think that Decisive Denial is quite good. This is... Green, blue for an instant. Choose one. Target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. And the other mode is counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays three. And I, I think this is just a, like, generically, a pl- like, the two modes do very different stuff. Obviously, you need to have big creatures in your deck in order for this to be a good card. But if there is like a blue green deck that has some decent sized creatures in it as a big part of its game plan, this does a great job of acting as a removal spell in matchups where that matters and acting as a negate in game one in matchups where that matters. No, I, I think this card's good, mostly because I've been playing Brazen Bar and Lovestruck Beast for a while now. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fighting with uh, my Lovestruck Beast is very good. Yep, that and is true. Having an extra counter spell on top of it is pretty nice too. I mean, it's very difficult to resolve an ultimatum through this. Yeah. Especially game one. So, I like this card. Those are my Quandrix cards. I have one more. Okay. I have Eureka Moment. Okay. Which is 2GU instant, draw two, you can put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. It's a big growth spiral. Mm-hmm. I. It's mostly like a uh, an inspiration that you get a little bit more value from. Uh, which I think is a little weak right now, but it is one of those blue-green cards where it's like, go up in cards, go up in mana, so I'm not going to just dismiss it without mentioning it. Sure. Yeah, I don't think we generally have time for this right now. Like, the value engines are too valuable, and the 
the payoff that you get from this like doesn't keep up with edge wall innkeeper type stuff yeah but, your, your payoffs are too cheap and your like cards you're casting are too cheap so why would you need this kind right, of deal right yeah. but that's clearly not going to be the case for forever and there have certainly been standard metagames where like this is a powerful enough route to ramping and card draw and i kind of want to try this out in Soulplay ultimatum <laughs> i don't know i don't know that it'll stick but i it's something i want to try out yeah i mean you can only have so many binding the old gods and and this type of thing you know they're kind of yeah. doing a similar thing but and this isn't blinkable with yorion what a tragedy i I'm well aware of the power of Ikoria and <laughs> <laughs> Throne of all Dream cards. <laughs> this is like Kamigawa all over again, where I know. when Kamigawa came out, the Bearden was the last release to like block. Right. And the Bearden cards are all super busted. <laughs> and everyone's looking at like, oh, here's Thief of Hope. It's a Grey Ogre that does a parasitic thing. Right. You're never going to play it. We just banned Skullclamp like three months ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you want to do your silver quill cards? Oh, silver quill cards. So, ooh, I like the silver quill cards in the set. Mm -hmm. They are cool. They are really cool. I put this in silver quill, though it's a blank card. Uh, oh, yeah. Put... Mastery. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a 4B instant. You can pay 1 and a B rather than pay its cost. But if you do, an opponent draws a card. Uh, and it's just exile a creature or planeswalker. And it's three and a B. It's four mana for its... Yeah. Yeah. Three and a B. Yeah. I mean, not... Obviously, Vraska's Contempt, the two life actually matters, but it's, like, not that far off of a Vraska's Contempt, and it has the ability to, like, let you double spell on an important turn or cast a turn two if you really need to kill something. Like, flexibility there is... Good. Like, this is an extremely flexible removal spell. So it's it's eight to extinction, right? Not really Vraska's Contempt. Sh sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But instead of scrying... As I think each extinction does. I don't know. I've never played the card. I think it's like effectively surveils, right? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> See, didn't, clearly didn't know the card did. But it's it's just a splashable exile creature planeswalker card that has seen no play because it's four mana just it's frequently too expensive. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can use this early, albeit some card disadvantage. The fact that if you use it early, you're you know what you're about. You like want to get something off the board really frequently or you want to double spell it gives it a really good amount of flexibility yeah i mean it loses some of we lose some of the need for it because you know like extinction event exiles and so like the fact that this exiles creatures isn't actually like filling any particular hole that we don't already have covered if we are not playing extinction event sometime and we want targeted removal then this certainly becomes better and what i think really will make it be a thing that is attractive is if planeswalkers get good again at some point yeah because that's what it's good at or that's what its flexibility is also riding on yeah. not just the cost reduction because heartless that kills everything right yeah until it gets a a counter on it <laughs> yeah. but yeah i i mean and also like potentially in older formats too like two mana exile a creature and the flexibility of getting a planeswalker that is potentially a thing you know this this gets a a merit lage if that's a thing uh next i have clever luma mancer mm -hmm. this is a white mana oh one human wizard 
Magecraft, whenever you cast a or copy an instant sorcery spell, it gets plus two, plus two, and Dylan of Yeah. You can go off about this one, because I, I, you like it more than I do. Oh, yeah, I just think this is a wildly powerful card. Uh, I think it's going to create new archetypes in modern, or at least, like, supplant certain prowess archetypes. I think, like, this makes me really want to play white-red prowess, because you just can play any number of one-drops, which provide you with your best starts. It may create, like, some ground rift type decks. <laughs> like, if you go lava dart, flashback lava dart, ground rift like this yeah, thing is dead. gigantic they're dead like this thing has 10 power two four six eight ten yeah yeah that, that tracks and they can't block it i mean one of the problems with this card is that it dies to lava dart but i'm sure you're playing like a full clip of mutagenic growths in this deck because you are all in with all the one drops and stuff yeah i think this card really only sees play in modern prowess mm-hmm. but it is really good there yeah the weird thing about Magecraft as a mechanic is, like, in Standard, it's, like, pretty hard to, like, trigger Magecraft multiple times. Yeah, it, it it's kind of, like, hard to attain 2-3 for a mana. Mm-hmm. And we discussed with the Mystical Archive that the spells in Standard are not, in white at least, are not fantastic. So you really have to dip into another color. And once you're doing that with, uh, like, a two-color deck, you are to supplement your spells in white you have to like go to the snarls <laughs> oh. which did not make any of my lists here and we're not going to talk about them today we can like complain about them again <laughs> but yeah they, they didn't make my list yeah i mean i certainly modern prowess like this is going to be great in, and i think that that's kind of a no-brainer that pump is just gigantic if you're ever doing more than like one or two spells, like this gets so much power for a one mana creature. Like there's reasons to seek out and do weird stuff. Obviously it needs a supporting cast. This can't be your only payoff for your historic aggro deck with weather the storm in it. Like you obviously need to be doing more things than this, but like this is not entirely dissimilar to like a one mana tendrils. If you like untap with this and this adds two damage to all of your spells, like that's mm-hmm. really powerful. Yeah, as long as you can connect with it, they don't remove a spell, they, they just die. Yeah, there's like a lot here. And mostly it's overshadowed by the very obvious, like, I'm going to play this with Lava Darts in Modern and it's going to be really, really good that way. Mm-hmm. Next up, I have Elite Spellbinder. Yeah. Which is PV DDR's card. Uh, two and a white for a three one human cleric with flying. Uh, when he enters the battlefield, you look at target opponent's hand. You can exile an online card from it. And as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it, and it casts two more to cast that way. So relevant things about this one that's kind of not obvious. Uh, it exiles the card from their hand, but it's essentially like still in their hand. It just costs more. Mm-hmm. You can't... Like, they, they can't kill Elite Spellbinder and then get the card back and it loses the cost reduction. It's just always going to cost two more from that point on. Right. And if you blink it, you don't, like, strand that card forever. It just, like, still costs two more. And blinking this is fine because then you get to tax another card for plus two mana. Yeah. I, I like this card quite a bit. It's a pretty unique effect. It's a soft meddling mage, mm-hmm. but it has this huge upside of looking at your opponent's hand right yeah you get to know like oh they had the second wrath like like or whatever like you know exactly what they're doing 
defensively against your probably aggressive, this is a three mat, a three one flyer. You're probably beating down. Yeah, it doesn't do much other than attack. Right. So, like when it's on the battlefield, it's gonna be sideways. <laughs> that body is really relevant. Like that's a flicker wisp body. Yes, I've died to flicker wisp many times. Right. Usually not the body, but not not the body. <laughs> I like it shortens the length of the game, which is really important when you're taxing their cards. Like. Mm-hmm. Taxing their cards does nothing if you're not pressuring them, but if you're dealing five damage a turn, yeah, you if you snag an ultimatum with this thing, they're just not casting it right. <laughs> unless they can wrath your board. Right. Yeah. No, I think this card is pretty good, and also potentially a thing like this is not necessary and not great, but if you're in a matchup where doesn't let your opponent cast spells or doesn't let players cast spells except for from their hand, uh, Dranith Magistrate. So your opponents. Can't cast cards, except why did it bring up the Spanish version? Anyways, your opponents <laughs> can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. Like, you don't need to do this to make it good. And this might be, you know, you don't really want to put a two-mana 1-3 in your deck unless it's, like, really stopping other stuff. Which it does. It stops adventures. It stops foretell. Whatever. But this does make the steel, the the card that it is taxing, uncastable as long as Dranith Magistrate is on the battlefield. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. No. Two mana one threes are not very good. No. I mean, it's just a an interaction that probably comes up when you have sided in Dranith Magistrate because it is act good by itself in the matchup. I think it's a little unfortunate that your subsequent copies of PV can't tax the same card. Oh, because it's already out of their hand. Because yeah. it's already out of their hand, which I don't know how you template that. <laughs> yeah. But it, it feels like it loses a little bit just for ease of tracking. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know how... It would have to be, like, a name a card type of thing, and then that, like, completely changes how this card works. Yeah, yeah, I know. But yeah, it's I mean, rough. this card's going to do stuff, and it's going to do stuff in, like, Aether Vile decks as well, probably. Mm-hmm. It's another just cool white card that p- pushes mana advantage. One mm-hmm. thing that white is pretty good at. Yeah. All right. Uh, I've got a bevy of gold cards, <laughs> uh, but the one I think is the best is Vanishing Verse. Mm-hmm. This is a white to black instant exile target monocolor permanent. Yep. I'm so in. imagine ultimate price, but then you're like, you know, we're just going to attack a white mana onto this thing and then make it exile any permanent. Most artifacts. Well, okay. Not most artifacts. Most enchantments that you're worried about are, are monocolored, but yeah, it does not kill colorless stuff. So it does kill the great hinge. It does kill the Great Henge. Yeah, and I mean, we certainly be getting more colored artifacts, and so it kills the Great Henge, it kills Embercleave. I mean, against Mono Red, this card is fantastic. I mean, against any monocolored deck, this card's fantastic. Right, but like specifically, like, Mono Red gives you cards in a range of mana costs, and the exiling is good against Annex, and it's the right mana cost for like most of their threats, and et cetera, et cetera. Doesn't kill Faceless Haven, though. There's one threat in there it doesn't get. That's true. Uh, This is just like a good removal spell. Yeah. The ability to target permanents is nice instead of just creatures. Uh, There are a lot of multicolored things running around, mostly from uh, Kalheim and Ikoria. Mm -hmm. So that's a little a bummer sometimes where you can't kill Yorion or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's just a downside of an otherwise very good card. At the end of the day, this is a removal spell. You play the removal spells that match up well against the stuff you want to kill. Does it? Then play this one. You know, mm-hmm. 
Uh, then I have the littler Vanishing Verse in the set, <laughs> which is Fracture. It's just white, black, instant. Destroy an artifact, an enchantment, or a Planeswalker. So disenchant, except for you get a Planeswalker attached to it. Yeah. Just a solid sideboard card. <laughs> sure. Like, you mostly just want the... It, it's another removal spell, right? So you just use it where appropriate. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't hit creatures. So you're mostly just going to be on Vanishing Verse, but when you need to kill specific really important artifacts enchantments you put this in and it just happens to kill planeswalkers as well so it's a little better than disenchant sure vanishing verse does not kill tybalt fracture does kill tybalt hey kind of like if you're trying to play a long game against a deck that has a couple tybalts in it like that's being able to kill it is pretty important yeah it's kind of it for silver quill cards that i care about but i have one that i don't and want to just complain about oh yeah let's do it all right, so I've got Blot Out the Sky written down. Oh, okay, yeah. X white black sorcery. Create X21 tapped white and black inkling creature tokens with flying. If X is six or more, destroy all non-creature, non-land permanents. Mm-hmm. So I'm just insulted about how bad this mythic is. It's got like so many downsides, and I don't know why. For like... A card which is essentially Martial Coup. A card from Conflux, I think. Because mm-hmm. uh, Martial Coup, I'm going to read that just because I don't expect people to know what it does. But Martial Coup is X white white, create X one one white soldier tokens. And if X is five or more, you destroy all other creatures. So you keep your your tokens just like Blot Out the Sky, but everything else dies. Uh, Blot Out the Sky is just horrendously <laughs> templated. So first of all, <laughs> If you're not casting this for six or more, it's just making two one flyers, which would be cool. Except for they come to play tapped, so you can't do anything with them for a whole turn cycle. And as a sorcery, so you can't just like cheat with it by like casting on your opponents and stuff, whatever. So the, you never want to cast this for like less than three or four mana. So you're already looking at like a kind of expensive card. But if you manage to, you know, kick it, have extra six six or more. You're killing everything on the board that isn't a land or a creature. Right. <laughs> and creatures are what you want to kill. <laughs> you cast this, put a bunch, like, kill all artifacts, enchantments, and planeswalkers, put a bunch of tap two ones into play, and then you die to the two creatures that you didn't kill with your giant spell. Yeah, this is just, c- come on. They, can they just not kill other non-inklings or whatever? They come into play tapped. You can still die to Vorinclex. <laughs> It, it seems templated very much to try to not be as like oppressive of a limited mythic as like Starheim or whatever. But like this card is still really, really good in limited. Like every mana cost, it it's like completely acceptable to cast it out in limited and probably just kills your opponent. So I don't really know what the point is in making it slightly less unbeatable in limited. It's like still pretty unbeatable in limited. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't like this card. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And I like the art because it's just a bunch of ink blobs that look kind of goofy, like they're from Ghostbusters or something. I like the the Inkling guys. I, I, I Like, that's a really cool mascot type of thing. I, I think they're really neat. Mm-hmm. So I'm sad that their marquee card is just so bad. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, I'm out of Silverquill cards. Do you have any? Yeah, so I had also Elite Spellbinder, Vanishing Verse, and Clever Lumamancer in my Silver Cool cards. Uh, my other ones are, you know, also kind of niche, like a couple of yours were. Uh, I've got Go Blank, 
So this is two and a black for a sorcery. Target player discards two cards, then exile all cards from that player's graveyard. I really like the art on this card. It's a very, it, it works. It's a little comic booky. It the the tone of it is really nice. I, I really I, appreciate I, it. I actually really like the art on this card as well. I mean, this card obviously isn't great. It's a mind rot plus. It is three mana is a lot of mana to not affect the board at all. But if you are playing a matchup where raw number of cards matters and their graveyard matters, like this really can do a lot of work. Tacking the exile on there. If the exile is worth like a mana to you, like then this card is pretty good. Yeah. I, it's one of those cards where it's you'll forget its entire existence and then someone will play it in their sideboard in like an event and you'll be like, oh, this is so genius. Right. Right. You'll like dump a Kroxa into your graveyard or whatever and then they'll go blank you and you'll be like, I can't win this game. Oh, no. I'm just dead now. I had three cards in my hand. Now I have one and no re- no Kroxa, no resources for a Kroxa. I'm untapping with the one Skyclave shade that I had in my in my play. <laughs> oh right. no. So when this card is good, it'll be really good. And a lot of the time it's obviously just not castable. But mm-hmm. uh, I also have so and I need to pull this up because I only have one side of the card. Is it Shale? Yeah. I have the uh-huh. the Dean Shale, Dean of Radiance, one and a white for a 1-1 one, one Flying Vigilance Bird Cleric. Tap, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature that entered the battlefield under your control this turn. The other side is two black, black for a 4-4 four, four Human Warlock. Tap, put a plus one, plus one counter on another target creature. Then Ambrose, Dean of Shadow, deals two damage to that creature. Whenever a creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it dies, draw a card. I don't... Like, there has to be a deck for this, but if there is, like, a a white-black plus-one-plus-one counted, I, like, probably isn't a thing. But if there were, having a card that's a split card of a two-mana creature and a four-mana creature that, like, have decent things that they do with you having, like, creatures, and especially creatures with plus-one-plus-one counters synergies, like, that's a pretty neat package of abilities. Like, if you have a couple of guys with plus-one-plus-one counters on it, you're about to make an attack, play the four mana guy, make your attack. If they trade off, then you get to draw a card for each creature that dies. This is like more like, I like playing limited. These effects are powerful and limited. But, you know, if you're playing some really bored type games, the split card of a two and a four that interact with your stuff is neat. That deck probably I, doesn't exist though. Yeah, no, but I <laughs> I like Shale a lot. The two mana one that gives your creatures counters if they've mm-hmm. entered that turn because it is vigilance so it planks away at them mm-hmm. and can use its ability but i think where it excels is like in token strategies like any anytime you can put multiple creatures into play and pump them a bunch sure. shale is going to be really good and you can just dismiss the backside if shale is good enough mm-hmm. and that's kind of where i see this card seeing the most play probably like i was thinking about this card earlier today in my cube because i wanted to like do a hard scales thing mm-hmm. and this was one of the cards that i'm like yeah this card's like pretty good to just put encounters and stuff yeah right yeah i mean if you're in white green counters and you're playing conclave mentors like this card the front side of this card might be good enough for the deck potentially and i think you need more than what we have currently for sure mm-hmm. but if you're ever in the market for like a cheap anthem that is also a creature Right. This is the only card you can really turn to. Right. Like if we had like 
a spectral procession type card or whatever to follow this up with or lingering souls or something like that like that would be really lingering cool. souls would be a plus that's a white luck card. yeah <laughs> but yeah it's not super powerful and that that is all of my silver quill cards so we can go to witherbloom we can go to witherbloom a lot of gold cards here okay so my number five witherbloom card is deadly brew this is black green for a sorcery each player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker if you sacrificed a permanent this way, you may return another permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Like, if you're doing all of the stuff with this card, that's a lot of stuff for two mana. Like, if an edict is good against your opponent, and this is creature or planeswalker edict, which, although it kind of gives your opponent more options, it generally means, like, like in Constructed, you rarely have more than a couple of permanents in play. A deck that has a planeswalker in play probably is going to have to sacrifice that planeswalker to Deadly Brew, so that generally adding planeswalker to the sacrifice thing is good for the card so you know if you are using this as a regrowth and sacrificing like a token or something or a creature with a, a leaves play ability or a, a dies ability or whatever and getting a decent you know if you get all of the stuff you're getting way more than two mana worth of value out of this thing and the you know as long as an edict is okay against your opponent then the floor is not that low not the easiest thing in the world to build a deck where this is good, though. So I'm reminded of Guilds of Ravnica Standard, where like green-black was good, and you're just trying to get value all the time and all the time. Mm -hmm. And this card would be really, really good in sure. that sort of strategy, because you like fodder to sacrifice you didn't care about, and you had really powerful permanents to bring back. And everyone was playing like the attrition-y game. Mm -hmm. uh, currently, I think this card's like really bad. Yeah. Oh, as long as people are playing, like, Trotsky, like, this is terrible. Yes. And it's not just that bringing stuff back is bad, because it's it's not. You always get something. But it's that you just have easier access to better ways to, like, get your card quality going, your card flow going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is more of a, there's some potential here in an, like, ideal metagame for it. I think this card's, like, pretty good and limited. <laughs> Yeah, probably. If if you've built around it and, you know, specifically like Witherbloom has the pests as mm. a big part of its mechanic, sacrifice a pest to bring a your best permanent back from your graveyard is really good. Yep. My number four is Witherbloom Apprentice. This is green black for a 2-2 magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Weird colors for this, but this is the Magecraft ability that kills your opponent without a combat step as long as you have enough spells. And that's enough that it's going to be like a card that people at least come back to and brew around, even if it doesn't necessarily quite get there as a tier one deck in any format. Like, this is a triggered ability that if you trigger it enough, your opponent dies. Yeah, this is. Uh, this text is so good. It's really just its colors that are kind of holding it back. It'll be interesting to see if that withstands the test of time or if people will just bend their mana bases kind of hard to like make this like a real threat. Right. Yeah, I mean, it kills your opponent with Chain of Smog. Like, that's a thing. You do have to dump your whole hand so then if they have a force, you lose. But... Or a shock. Yeah, or... Right, or a swords. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, risky if you don't lead with a a thought sees but uh, the colors are certainly not ideal for this but black is the same color as chain of smog 
and green does let you green sun zenith for it or summoner's pact for it so like it's not completely useless for it to have green in its mana cost no yeah it's not but i mean time will tell whether the chain of smog combo is gonna be reasonable. yeah 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 i mean that's one of those things like we've never it's like well outside of my experience to so i have no desire to predict whether it will be good or not <laughs> and legacy's one of those formats that's kind of crazy yes as far as like using this in a fair way sort of not really it's just the wrong colors to be like trying to like do weird use this as a gutter snipe kind of thing or something like green black is just not really capable of doing this yeah you're gonna have to call me back when green gets those uh spells that draw cards like abundant harvest well we got harmonize and historic yeah and yeah that's true chain some abundant harvest you'll really start draining your opponent out oh yeah abundant harvests and tainted pacts and stuff like that all right we're going too deep i'm not interested anymore we are going too deep next i've got culling ritual this is two a black and a green for a sorcery destroy each non-land permanent with mana value two or less add black or green for each permanent destroyed this way Look, this isn't going to be good in every matchup, but when it's good, holy crap, it's it's just refunding you all of the mana that you put into it. Imagine playing this against, like, cat oven stuff. <laughs> yeah, kill the oven, kill the cat. Or kill, kill the ovens, at least. Kill the oven. And the food. Like, you can't get your cat back. Kill all of your food. Get all of my mana. Put a planeswalker into play. Kill your trail of crumbs. Like, you're dead. You are dead. Yeah. it's It can be really, really good against specific board states and decks i don't like this card <laughs> i think it's just on an average case-to-case basis i know it's so spike it's so swingy like yeah like sometimes it'll be like a medium fatal push for four mana mm-hmm. or for three mana i guess yeah <laughs> and you're like sometimes you have two drops in play and one drops that you want to keep and you just like don't even want to cast it well i yeah and it is really weird because it's like almost a sideboard card but it's like the design is like so fundamental so your deck has to be like giving you mana right if you are playing like a green black sort of rampy or board controlling deck or something like that and you happen to be playing against a deck that has a lot of cheap stuff in it i mean like imagine playing this against an auras deck yeah you just crush them yeah and (laughs) until the care matches blessing but whatever they won't have it it doesn't matter. You kill all their auras, though. Like, you probably still screw them up because you, like, kill all their auras and then put a Planeswalker or whatever into play. Yeah, yeah. That is that is good value. <laughs> There's just enough blowout turns in this text that I can't... Like, it'll do something. It, but I think it specifically has to do it from the sideboard. Probably. Most matchups, it's just not going to do as much as you need it to. Right. Yeah, like you play against adventures and all their creatures cost three mana. Like, this doesn't do oh, anything. Thanks. I'll kill your Edgewell and Cooper for three mana. <laughs> Next, I have Witherbloom Command. This is green black for a sorcery. Choose two. Target player mills three cards. Then you return a land card from your graveyard to your hand. Destroy target non creature, non land permanent with mana value two or less. Target creature gets minus three, minus one until end of turn. Target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. These aren't super powerful modes, but they are modes that can be turned into cards. Like the the place has the timing and the place has to be right for this. But you know, like 
This is one of the very few cards in Magic the Gathering that you can respond to a Renin Six with and be even on mana and value. Like, they play a Renin Six, you play your, your fetch land, cast this, kill their Renin Six, get your fetch back. It's like you just traded Renin Sixes for each other, basically. And uh, not a lot of cards in Magic let you do that. that. Yeah, that's true. Do you like this card more than Quandra's Command? I foresee myself being like playing decks that want this card more than playing decks that want Quandrix Command. Okay, that's fair. I I didn't put this on my list because I, I think it's really bad. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. I mean, obviously, you need to be, like, in a metagame where destroy target, non-creature, non-land permanent with mana value 2 or less is, like, a thing. And that's, like, a weird disenchant. I know, it is just a weird disenchant. But two mana to disenchant your thing and get a land back out of my graveyard is, like pretty good if you are playing in a matchup where the like they have one toughness creatures too you know there's just like ways this turns into a blowout this is mostly a one of sideboard card for like specific things sometimes that sometimes you'll draw it it'll like be a huge beating and that's all it's not like it's not going to be defining anything so <laughs> the the weirdest mode for me is the the disenchant one mm -hmm. it's not even really a disenchant destroy a non-creature non-land with permanent with mana value two or less but most of the things you want to disenchant for like the large majority of magic history are just more than two mana sure because that's where the power points are mm -hmm. i mean sure you can get trail of crumbs and like witches oven lucky clover i guess when it was illegal but outside of those cards like there's not a lot you get with it right sylvan library you're not playing this over abrupt decay <laughs> and legacy no, what are you talking about not. Yeah, it's it's narrow. It's weird. Like it also only kills one toughness creatures because it's a sorcery. You can't use it in combat. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is weird and lame for sure. If it was an instant, I'd be way more into this card for sure. Oh, yeah. Like I was really disappointed when I read this card and was like kind of hyped for it and then realized it was a sorcery and got a much, much less hype for it. I, this card being an instant in my mind was like, okay, this card is nice. Yeah. To sorcery is like, I am never playing this card ever. Yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly way worse as a sorcery. But I mean, if your opponent is playing such cards that this is likely to be a two for one in a way that matters, you know, like this card does pay you back when the situation is right. And that's all that it is like when you can get that that's great a lot of times that's not a thing that's available to you so you're just not going to play this card uh, and then i've also got baleful mastery listed this is the exile target creature or planeswalker that you can also pay for two i think this card is versatile enough to be quite good <laughs> yeah we talked about that one you know it's funny <laughs> when we went to witherbloom you said you had a lot of gold cards on your list i immediately looked at my list I'm like oh, i've got no gold cards <laughs> <laughs> So I want to talk about some different cards. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Dragon's Guard Elite is kind of a non, uh, not guild school. Yeah, it's not a, it's not part of Strixhaven, right? Like those are like people that are out and about in the world because the Dragon's Guard are. Yeah, like... they're the protectors of Strixhaven. That's okay, how I understand it because they were trained by the dragons or something, and the dragons are all about Strixhaven. Gotcha. They're the founders of the schools. But Dragon's Guard Elite is a... Uh, well, you know what really sucks, though? 
yeah. We Come always on. let like one evil founder in when we make our wizard schools. And I, I feel I like I feel like we gotta stop doing that, man. No, actually all the founders in this one are like good guys as far as I, I'm aware. Well, then something happened with Silver Quill. And then you know, like who's who's the bad influence I, there? Why is there a school of bad guys? Because Wizards Creative is just terrible. Yeah. Disappointing. What a lot <laughs> like, I, mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Plus all the dragons in uh cons of Tarkir, the elder dragons. They're all pretty much the same. There's no like good guy in the concentra or bad guy in the concentra gear dragons. Well, yeah, I mean this is a totally different type of story though. Like that's yeah, that's fair. No time travel involved, right? And no, that's like, what really every mage school needs. Like our our mage school set, there doesn't need to be a world ending conflict involved here. It it can just be like fun times at Strixhaven High. Like we can okay. So I I want to rant about the story. But we don't have to do it right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can wait until the end of the episode or the beginning of another one or something. But I whenever I whenever is convenient to you. Okay. Stay tuned after we talk about these cards because I really do want to talk about the cards I have. <laughs> Dragon Dragon's Guard Elite. Mm -hmm. It's a grizzly bear. One G for two two human druid. It's got Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant sorcery spell, put a plus one plus one counter on it. And an activated ability of 4GG to double the number of Pulse Muslim counters on it. Mostly irrelevant. Who cares about it? Right. I mostly just like this as a kind of query and dryad kind of card. Yeah. Uh, it's just a fine rate creature. 2 2 for 2 is not very good, but it's not terrible. Better than query and dryad. Yeah, I mean, query and dryad was like 20 years ago. Yeah, no, it's extremely outmoded. <laughs> we get plus 1 plus 1 nowadays. Mm hmm. <laughs> But this is just rewards you for playing the game because spells are everywhere in standard. And I don't think there's a point right now where you can kind of put this card in. But if there's, because your slots are so tight with adventures, which are just the best spells, like maybe if creature sizing matters and battlefield matters to the point where Dragon's Guardly is good, you can just like kind of do your own like Miracle Grow deal, like with Query Andriad. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's right now, but it is a card that is just all upside yeah i mean and it certainly gets way better as long as you have ways of fitting like cheap cantripy stuff into your deck like we don't have abundant uh, what abundant harvest. harvest we don't have abundant harvest and brainstorm in standard but like if you could put those into the deck with this thing that makes it a lot better i am kind of seeing it like like the gears are turning for an archmage emeritus with this thing because like a lot of the cards that are good with this thing are also good with the also archmage. good with that yeah like like snakeskin veil is very good with both of them just like cheap spells in general like that that one quandrix card the f the fight negate thing yeah yeah like that that goes well in that kind of deck like the, you know the fight card with this two mana creature that will become a, gets plus one plus one when you cast this likely becoming like a four four or a five five like you know yeah i could see something with this card yeah i i, I quite like this card and i don't know if there's a shell I think it's a lot harder to build around one with Query Andriad. Because mm -hmm. Query Andriad, you just cast any card and it got bigger, right? Right. This one, you have to cast actual spells. So it's a little harder. I mean, back but... when Query Andriad was around and like playable, like creatures basically weren't. So it was kind of the same because your deck was all spells and like Query Andriad and one other threat. I mean, but the spells were just like kind of game winning at that point, right? You could play Factor Fiction. Mm hmm. <laughs> So anyway, I, I just I just like this one. It's yeah, neat. It is neat. 
I've got two more cards I want to touch on. Sigmore Witch is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a 2B, 3-2 human warlock with menace. And ward pay three life. Uh, that's a new mechanic. Uh, whenever it becomes a target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, uh, it gets countered unless that player pays the cost, which in this case is three life. So if they want to Doomblade it, or I guess Heartless Act it, they have to pay an extra three life. It's so weird that they've gone back to the Frost Titan templating for this. And this is now an evergreen mechanic, so we're, you know, we're rolling with this. It, it's just so weird that they've gone back to the Frost Titan, like, gotcha templating, when if you, like, forgot that there's an extra cost, then your spell gets countered and you, like, are screwed instead yeah, of, the like... Co- instead of Copala. Right. Like, spells cost two more. All right, Doomblade your guy. No, that costs four. Oh, shoot. Okay, let me... Then Doomblade your guy. Okay, pay two. Oh, no. Right. Especially, like, given that, like, Arena is... Like, the triggered ability is way worse on Arena because it's very easy to just, like, Doomblade your guy on Arena. Spell gets countered because you screwed that up. Like, shoot. But the game tells you and your opponent doesn't have to tell you that your card costs two more to do this. I, I just don't really understand this templating. Yeah, it's a little weird regression. I, I, Luckily, not super big of a problem with this card because it's not a mana cost. You just pay three life. Right, and I guess that is a benefit is you can put different, like, different types of additional costs on there that you can't really add pay three life to the it would be a is weird it, templating thing to is add that what up. one of the dragons does one of the five mana red dragons yeah i guess it does doesn't it yeah <laughs> terror of the peaks is that what it is, it, it, yeah, that's terror on terror of the peaks. Of the peaks. yeah spells your opponent's cast that tar- target terror of the peaks cost their soul three life oh yeah, yeah terror of the peaks yeah <laughs> yeah i it, it is re- weird to me then that I, I don't really get it but anyways. You know, also, one of the reasons they... Quick sidebar to talk about design for a second. <laughs> so Prowess used to be an evergreen mechanic, right? Because it was mm-hmm. in Tons of Tarkir, then it disappeared for a little bit. Then they brought it back for Shadows of Renestrad. And then it, it continued until, like, Eldritch... Um, not Eldritch Moon. The second Amonkhet set. Our, yeah. Yeah, our devastation. And then it wasn't an Ixalan forward. And I don't think we've gotten a Prowess card, mm-hmm. except for in like maybe a Corpse or something. Basically, it used to be an Everwind Kick, and then they removed it. One of the reasons they removed it, one of the big reasons they removed it, is because it was a triggered ability. Mm-hmm. And they didn't like a triggered ability to be Evergreen hmm. because it was like a little too much to keep track of. You have to like count how many times it triggered, or like multiple copies of Prowess didn't do anything. It was like hard to turn knobs on. Ward is also triggered ability. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? what's going on here, guys? Yeah, I don't love it. In two years from now, we're just not going to see Ward on cards. I, I can almost, like, this is my call shot for this one. <laughs> and this is also not, I mean, I do appreciate the, like, here's a mechanic that makes creatures harder to target, but isn't hexproof because, you know, hexproof is not good play design. I... I'm kind of disappointed because like the mechanic that I really like am rooting for to exist is the like divine shield mechanic, like bubble, like a bubble. Yeah. Like you can target this once and it'll counter it. But then after that, like if this is important enough to aim two removal spells at, then you got it. And like, I, I think that is a cool mechanic that would work really well and actually protects your creatures from certain stuff. But like it costs two more is just like another taxing ability basically. And it's not that interesting and doesn't actually like oh the spell costs you three life to kill this like that's just a bone crusher giant of it like that's not that interesting nah 
and doesn't do that much even. But Sedgemore Witch, the actual card, yes, is a uh, just a young pyromancer. It's got an agecraft. Whenever he has an instant co- or copy, that's no sorcery spell. Make a one-one black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain a life. Uh, this card is not quite young pyromancer, and it's certainly not monastery mentor. It's a tilting tweet to read comparing this to monastery mentor i don't know how many of y'all have read monastery mentor but the tokens it creates have prowess there there are certainly pests but they are very large ones yeah it doesn't like that was the thing with monastery mentor is like if you made two tokens like yeah they kill the monastery mentor these tokens are still gonna kill you that's not true with pests or young pyromancer tokens okay yeah and i'm I I just like this card as a like a young pyromancer. Sure. Like if you're in the market for village rightsing decks, mm-hmm. young pyromancer is really really good in those decks. And if you want a second copy, it's a little more expensive and it doesn't really do that much more than the young pyromancer. To be honest, it's got a little bit of bigger body and the tokens kind of have an effect, but not really. It, mostly, if you just want like a fifth or sixth young pyromancer, just go for it. And I think that's worth considering if you want to yeah. do that well i mean this also gives us access to a young pyromancer effect in standard which we don't have mm-hmm. so if you want to do village rights in standard like this might be a thing you want access to if you want to do claim the firstborn village rights uh, some sort of shell with that then maybe i don't know if the other like you know we certainly don't have arcanist anymore or anything like that so i don't know what other ingredients exist for that but if you want to cast village rights like this is probably somewhere it's at least on your radar in standard yeah i think so i I will also mention that i I like pests as a creature type Mm -hmm. because i remember nuisance engine from like bearden or darksteel or whatever oh yeah it made oh one pests right yeah it was just an artifact that made oh one pests that's (laughs) all it did and it was just a very good named card like nuisance engine makes a pest every turn yes all <laughs> they flavor. don't do anything <laughs> and now we're like so so many years i don't know if that creature has ever been used now we've got a bunch of pests in the set the game life and a legendary pest it's just cute <laughs> and the art for the like pest related cards and their tokens is fantastic they're really well designed uh last card i want to talk about is plum the forbidden mm-hmm. this is a one beat instant as an additional cost to cast the spell, you can sacrifice one or more creatures. When you do, copy the spell for each creature sacrificed this way. And the text of the card, which you actually get, is just draw a card, lose a life. So, oh, so you get is... one copy without sacrificing any creatures. Okay, yeah, yeah. I yeah. needed to brain my way through that one one time. Yeah, base rate of this card is two mana instant, draw a card, lose a life, which is not a good rate. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but... It's really good at triggering Magecraft and getting rid of a bunch of excess creatures such as the pest created by Sedgemore Witch. This is actually a huge combo with Sedgemore Witch. Right. You, it's like free. Like all the pests you sacrifice give you the life back and then each of the copies gives you a pest back. Yeah. Like this, this combo with Sedgemore Witch is I am kind of excited about. Yeah, that's dope. But I mean, if you want to go to Historic for actual young Pyromancer... Plum the Forbidden is a way to get rid of excess tokens and just draw a bunch of cards too. Because mm-hmm. sometimes with Village Rights, you just want to draw more than two cards. Yeah. And you don't mind if like paying a couple of extra creatures for, for more cards. Yeah. 
I mean, two mana is a little bit expensive for this type of effect. You know, we certainly never... Alter's Reap never sees constructed play. Yeah. So you've got to be willing to set up boards where you have a bunch of creatures to sacrifice for this to be any good at all. And, and I think triggering Magecraft is... Mm-hmm. Like, this is the easiest way to copy a spell in standard as far as I know. Yeah, that's probably... So if you that's gotta be can true. trigger Magecraft, like, this is really good at it. Yeah. Yeah, that is the really weird thing about Magecraft having the text that it does is, like, how many times are you actually going to copy a spell in standard or even in this limited format? Like there's not very many ways to copy spells. I'm opening grape shot or it's not grape shot. Tendril's agony in every draft. Yeah, exactly. Like the four storm cards in the, the mystical archive are probably like the most common ways to like actually trigger Magecraft by copying spells. Weather the storm triggering my, uh, my Dina, the green black uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. That's all I've got for Strixhaven. Oh, this you card is also really cool card. in like casual formats. Like this is going to be a huge commander card, I think. Plum the Forbidden. That's just like an effect that a lot of commander decks want really badly. Yeah, it's a huge scalable card draw and sacrifice all it. Right, and worst case you cycle it. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. What 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 else should we talk about? That's it. That's it for Shrixhaven. You have any lands you want to talk about? Because no. there's five I really want to talk about. I don't want to talk about any lands at all. So can I talk about one? Is it the library land? No. Then no. Okay, Please? you can talk about one. All right, so there's a card by Adam Paquette. It's an island. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me some serious Manamo School at Water's Edge vibes. Okay. It's nice art. I like it. Okay, legit. Great. That's it. That's all the lands I want to talk about. Yeah, no, that's probably the only relevant land, I would say. I think so. Cool. We had some weird, like, printing things with this set. Like, What do you mean? I mean, and maybe this didn't make it to the actual print cards, but, like, if you look at the spoilers, like, Journey to the Oracle costs four mana in the regular version, and it costs three mana in the extended art version. I know that specific error was only digital. Only digital. Um, And then there was another one where, like, one of the legends... Like it calls itself the wrong name in the text I don't of know the about card. That, one. <laughs> that was funny though. <laughs> Thunder collector, Thunder yes. conductor. Yes. Yeah. No, that one is, I believe is a real error. We don't know whether it's a Thunder conductor or a Thunder collector. It's definitely Thunder conductor is the name that it's supposed to have because he's conducting an orchestra of lightning uh, students doing lightning stuff. But the, so I looked at the Prismari command deck, which was spoiled today, and. I really like the flavor of Prismari a lot. There's a lot of musical yeah. cards. It's really neat. It is cool. And the cards I'm not interested in at all. <laughs> They're just not for me. I know. But, I mean, like some of them I, I think are really cool. I love the card Flamethrower Sonata. I can't believe there's a card named Flamethrower Sonata. <laughs> there's there's a lot of really good card names in this set. Like, they've really milked their, their naming. Like Flunk, Reject, Snow Day. Mm-hmm there's multiple choice even there's like a lot of good ones yeah yeah um yeah i mean i don't have really anything to talk about oh yeah so we have professor onyx which didn't make either of our lists i think that so this is a six mana liliana planeswalker i i I think that i've like recalibrated my six mana planeswalker valuation thing we're basically like i'm going to assume that no six mana planeswalker is playable until one like 
breaks that assumption. Uh, it's just not like a thing you can do anymore, even if they're pretty decent. Like Garrick made two wolves and like 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 powerful engine and stuff, but just you can't do that kind of stuff. Like you're you're just gonna get run over by way cheaper engines or just like much more efficient things. Liliana so, herself doesn't even do anything on board. She draws cards as a plus as a six mana planeswalker. I mean she uh crackling dooms your opponent. I mean, yeah, but that's a six mana crackling doom at sorcery speed. Right, right. But I mean it's not like she does nothing on board. But yeah, it's not like she's generating like three one ones or anything like that. But yeah. So but I she I has just a kill with chain of smog. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I did just think that was like an interesting thing. Like you're gonna have to put some like wild text on a six mana planeswalker at this point to make me even think about it now. After like Liliana Dreadhorde General and the last Garrick like kind of felt saw like just minuscule amounts of play. I think the last six mana planeswalker I played was Ugin, the ineffable. Mm-hmm. Which was eh, not great, but it did cool stuff. Right. And that kind of worked because it was a filler and like if it were a color it would have seen barely any, like regardless of color, it would have seen barely any play. Yeah. But the fact that you could fit it in anywhere that you were like, I could use like a weird six mana Obnixilis in this deck. that could claw its way in. Ugin got your back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be quite honest, I'm more excited for the mystical archive and historic. Uh, what I hope is a renaissance of historic and turning it into something that is actually interesting, even if not particularly balanced or like good, uh, than I am for this set, but there are some neat cards and I, I do like a lot of the design in this set. Uh, there's too much text overall, but th there's some cool stuff going on. I am really excited to seeing the rest of the commander decks. Mm -hmm. I don't even play commander. I just, I think that the the design space that they do with commander stuff without cards explicitly say the word commander. Yeah. It's like pretty cool. Yeah. And they made them like interesting red white cards for the first time ever. Yeah, they we were talking about this a little in the pre-show. They like kind of skipped the they just did different red white stuff in the set and the, <laughs> the thing. Yes. <laughs> and I like the one in the commander set a lot more. Yeah. But to be fair, the artifact stuff that they did in the commander set is would be really difficult to execute in this set and in this yeah. standard. Artifacts do not trigger Magecraft. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I don't really have anything else. You have any closing thoughts or anything like that? Yes, yeah, so let's talk about the story. Okay, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, uh, briefly, because I don't know the whole story. Sure. But I've read all the flavor text and stuff and all the stories there. Mm -hmm. One thing that really annoys me about <laughs> magic story is that the planeswalkers are useless <laughs> like in this story the plot of this story i guess sidebar to this not every set needs to have a conflict i don't know why they think that i mean i get that this is a, a game about fighting each other and stuff but like i'm fine with fighting with my snow days and my flunks and whatever against my opponent's mascots that's that's fine yeah i'm playing a fantasy game <laughs> Right. Well, and the, the thing is, like, with magic, you can pull your game pieces out of a world that exists rather than a war that is being held. Like, that that's perfectly acceptable is, like, have some students with their abilities and their spells and we can play a game with them. Like, that's fine. I don't need it. I don't need that much more than that. Build a cool world and, like, we're most of the way there. 
Yeah, I don't know why every like plane has to be in crisis when we come to them. Right. Even though like nothing is like we went to Kaladesh and Aether Revolt. Nothing was wrong with that place, really. Like they had a bad government. Tezzeret was in charge. He left in the first set. And then the whole second set was like, okay, I guess we got to rebel against the government now. It's just like, why? Can't we just like do fun artifact stuff? Yeah, that was the whole first set. We had this fair thing. It was cool. Yeah. Can we just keep doing maybe, that? Maybe like, you know, the Gear Hulks escape and we got to like track them down and like corral them up. That's fun. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> but like the strict save in the story, right? The, the yeah. whole plot is that there is a bad student or whatever. Extus, he's the Mardu card. Mm-hmm. The only one in the set. Uh, he was exiled by the Strixhaven people because he was studying Forbidden Magic or whatever. So he just keeps studying it because he wants to destroy the school or some, some weird reason for whatever plot contrivance. So he studies Forbidden stuff, summons this blood avatar, and the Will and Kenrith just kill it in like half a second, according to the cards. Who knows? In... <laughs> Not to interrupt again, but in some of the worst art that I've seen on a magic card, just like lifeless, weirdly posed, no, none of the weight is distributed in the right way. Like the magic was clearly added in after, like the, the arcing magic lightning stuff was added in after the characters were drawn and has not, like, it's bad looking. But the, the crux of the story is that there's a Strixhaven problem from a guy on Strixhaven or on Arcavios, which is the plan's name, against the people of Strixhaven. And they should just fight each other if they have to, right? Yeah. Like, why is Luca and Liliana and Kazmina, who's on two cards in the set, (laughs) by the way, and Rowan and Will, why are they all here? They're doing nothing. Well, okay, I think... So, that one I don't have that huge of a problem with, I think, because, like, Rowan and Will being here is fine. They're students at the school, right? Like, yes, they're like, I'm I'm fine with Ronan Will, uh, honestly. Right. Those two are fine. Is Kazmina not a teacher at the school? Nope. She leaves immediately. I just kind of assumed that she was like from Strixhaven, but okay. I did too. Cool. She's just not. Then yeah, that's, that's pretty lame. And Luca is lame. The idea of like Liliana hiding out in disguise as a teacher of like dark magics at a wizard school is like kind of neat. I'm kind of into that. So I don't mind Liliana that much because she doesn't care about the story, like, really. Mm-hmm. Her whole th- reason for being there is just try and find a spell to, like, swap her life with Gideon or something. Which, I mean, redemption arc or whatever, yeah. who cares. But th- the whole last time with Liliana, she was on some different plan under some different name doing something completely different. It's just kind of weird, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I... So I love the storytelling of the card itself, where it's like Professor Onyx, and then you get to the type line, and you're like, oh, it's Liliana. Like, I think that's a really cute way to use the card mechanics to do some storytelling. Yeah. But, like, just, I just don't like it when they kind of shoehorn plans orders that just sure. don't really need to do anything. Like, Luca's just there. Kazmina's just there. Yeah. Just I'd to so- bring Rowan in with all along, but... I certainly agree. Like, that's nonsense. And And, like... Also, like, like Will and Rowan being there, I think, is cool and fine. Like, them being the ones who, like, figure out how to kill the demon and taking him down is just, like, I guess. Like, why does it have to be that? Like, there's teachers at the school. Like, why aren't the deans, like, doing so that? So the, dra- the Dragon's Guard are the elite mages taught by the dragons themselves. They're, like, power- more powerful than the professors. Mm-hmm. They're just not doing anything about this threat at all, so who cares? Right. Just gotta let the kid planeswalkers do it. 
It's because it's how we did it in Harry Potter. Voldemort's there. Only the children can fight him, really. Yeah, just just the one, really. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. All right, I'm done with the story now. And you know, if anybody's going to deal with a demon, like, can't Liliana just, like, walk down there and just, like, end that? Like, that's her thing. You'd think, right? I mean, I haven't finished the actual written story because it hasn't all been released yet. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as I can tell, the extent of her involvement in the story is her own stuff, which is fine because, you know, it's a magic library. She can find spells there. And then she like tells the twins, oh, by the way, there might be a demon coming. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just like doing Goblet of Fire stuff, just like giving subtle little hints and like being noisy just, about things. Just generally useless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> didn't she kill gristlebrand like this demon should not like be a problem i mean she killed gristlebrand after he got from the hell vault from like a hundred years and was like stunned or whatever she basically killed him on death's door listen you use what you got (laughs) you you take your like ancient ultra powerful demons as they come all right also, that is, yeah, that's atrocious storytelling, too. Like, holy crap, I didn't know that was, like, the conclusion of that storyline. It's like... <laughs> well, leading up to it was more interesting than actually killing Gristlebrand. Yeah, still. But we can conclude that Abyssin restored the set, and the story was just really bad in general. <laughs> A story that ends with, the bad guy is really weakened, and now we can take him out, is, like, not good. Not By compelling. something that you didn't do at all. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Avison really defeated Gristlebrand. I mean that that is a huge problem with magic story in general is we don't have a settled perspective. Like you don't need to have one character that's your like point of view for everything, but you need to have like a a lens through which you view the world. And like this is the problem with the Star Wars prequel trilogy, for example, is like whose story is this? It's not really Anakin's. It's not really Obi-Wan's. It's not Pad. Like, we don't have, like, we don't understand, like, whose story it is. Uh, and, and like, also the characters are, like, completely indistinguishable, etc. There's lots of complaints about the prequel trilogy. But, like, with magic, it's, like, really similar. It's, like, whose story is this at any given time? Like, what are we trying to ever accomplish and also, who has agency in any particular situation? And it's really unclear, like, who is making decisions that affect anything. And so you just can't really get into it. It's not compelling storytelling. I would rather just this whole set story just be about Mage Tower, the game they play on Strixhaven the past time. Give us... There's no reason you can't do Battle Bond as an actual, like, storyline set. Battle Bond was so good. Yes. I don't know if I've told you this. I love that set. Football playing is, is cool, man. I know they weren't playing football, they were just pit fighting, but, like, the cons- everything was, like... It was gladiatorial. It was, like, yeah. a show. Yeah. It wasn't even, like, uh, pit fighting, like, Odyssey at it, where it was, like, to the death and you bet on it and stuff. Right. This is just, you know... It was it was wrestling. It was, it was pro wrestling, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's just a kid with his imaginary friend yes. as one of the two fighters. <laughs> yeah, Battle Bond rules. Like, yes. So cool. And it's bright and colorful and fun like damn yeah battlebond is one of the best sets they've ever done it's also fun I, I like playing it quite a bit yeah i mean it is a bummer that like yes it is definitely like one of the funnest ways that two-headed giant has ever been done 
but it is a bummer because like you have your logistical problems with two-headed giant actually doing it and it's like even with a set that's designed for it magic's rules really aren't set up for playing a two-headed giant game yeah i, I think battlebond did a really good job with playing two-headed giant because mm-hmm. a lot of the general two-headed giant stuff was avoided and there were some cool like little interactions but yeah for the most part i agree <laughs> yeah you didn't have like urborg siphon mage that see i was trying to remember the name of that card and i just knew i wasn't gonna get it <laughs> but i was i was literally the art of that card just popped into my head yeah. like i'm never gonna get the name of this card that's a card that in one-on-one is a spell shaper that you can activate it to drain your opponent for two in two-headed giant it drains your opponents for four and is just a nightmare I, it, it is really funny that like time spiral block is kind of the block that got the most two-headed giant played including <laughs> a pro tour, tour. <laughs> yeah. and it was like kind of designed with two-headed giant in mind but that just means that there were a lot of cards that became insane when you were playing two-headed giant from such as slivers slivers uh the storm cards because you could get your storm up real god i cannot tell you in limited with two-headed giant that's at the times like one of my opponents cast two spells and my other opponent volcanic awakening for my three lands volcanic awakening was one of the best cards in the set in two-headed giant you it was like six mana kill an opponent that card is destroy target land with storm (laughs) yeah and if you like set up a, a a suspend card your partner plays two spells you just end one of your opponents you just knock them out of the game entirely and it's 2v1 and you win easily <laughs> two at a giant in time spiral was was a ride for sure and there, there was a pro tour <laughs> why was there a pro tour I, I that was the time when they were just doing whatever yeah I mean, OP was better then than it is now. And you know what? I'm kind of glad they did it. Like, it was complete nonsense, but it's nice that that's in the history of Magic now. Just like all the team Pro Tours where the names were really weird. But that's kind of neat, too. Yeah. But then people had to ruin it. Yeah. I mean, people. <laughs> what a bunch of bastards. <laughs> all right. That's all of Strixhaven. We, we did it. We talked about all the good cards. There's no other good cards in the set. Don't worry about any of them. I mean, we probably missed one of them, but yeah. I'll never admit it. Of course. <laughs> what? Did, wait, hold on. Didn't you what? just? Uh, only, I mean, I'll never eat crow, I guess. Okay, that's fair. All right, thanks everybody so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McCleo. Uh, Thanks so much. And have a great week. Bye.